In the empty halls of Hutton Orbital, a lonely-looking robot plods slowly down a corridor. Here I am, brain the size of a planet, and they use me to carry the script up to the studio. I mean, it's not as if I've not got better things to do. As he plods along, the station announcer pipes up with yet another warning. This is a station-wide warning. Due to infrastructure failure, please avoid using the hand dryers on level two. Anyone with radiation burns, please report to Nurse Wyeth. And they think they've got problems. Imagine being me. Oh, it's so depressing. Here I am, capable of a billion thoughts a second. It gives me a headache just trying to think down to their level. All commanders are reminded panic buying of Centauri Megagin will not be tolerated. Please use the hand sanitizers provided. Next thing you know, they'll be drinking the stuff. I mean, I wouldn't even use it to polish my enormous brain casing. It gives me a terrible pain in the diodes down my right side, even thinking about it. Will Alvin the android please hurry up? Studio 5 needs a script. Oh, woe betide any one of them actually writes this stuff in advance and emails it up to the studio. But no, it's, Alvin, would you mind walking this upstairs at the last minute? Bad enough that I get confused for the dog, but being treated like a dog's body, with my intellect, it's so degrading. My co-processor aches. I'm so depressed. As Alvin the robot enters the lift up to the studio, he looks at the buttons and prods number 42. Thank you, sir. Level 42 it is. Have a nice day. Oh, there's no need to be so cheerful. As the lift lurches into action, a voice comes over the loudspeaker. Our mics are live! Oh, that's just great. They're on time. Whoop-dee-doo. I bet I'm going to be in trouble now. It's so depressing. Good evening, everyone, from Studio 5. I'm your host, Dick Chafing, and despite the infrastructure failure, we've cobbled together a broadcast deck, some new chairs, someone stole all the other ones, and have wiped down all the surfaces in case panic buying is infectious and we all catch a nasty case. I'm Rudolf Hacker, and I've definitely not bought all the bug rolls. I'm far too sensible for all this nonsense. Besides, my quarters are fitted with a bidet. I bought all the chocolate bars in the shop, but th that's normal, right? I've disinfected Lou thoroughly just to make sure. I keep slipping off my chair because I... Whoops! 
us Antarctic explorers just use whatever comes to hand. And now, on with the news. And we'll start it off with a big noise like this. No toilet rolls at the orbital. All our shelves are bare. The wheels on the SRV go round and round. Don't worry, be happy. The galaxy feels just a little bit smaller today. We're all getting out of touch. We're getting ready for our close-up. Atrus5060 has far too much time on his hands. Lou has been trying to fade into the background. And Norma's been sticking her nose into what's been going on. First tonight, panic at the orbital as Hutton is struck down by an infrastructure failure. With the frequency of visits by pilots arriving at our orbital hunting for a full hold of hot mugs and the odd bottle of Megagen, it was inevitable that one of them might bring something nasty with them. With pilots arriving at Hutton having spent months and in some cases years out exploring, catching all manner of nasty space lurgy, the IXI and Operation Ida pilots regularly getting covered in suspicious looking green goo, and of course the propensity of Imperial types to not wash their hands properly after the last orgy. The decontamination rooms at arrivals has been working over time. Unfortunately, it appears that someone managed to accidentally change the bulbs in the ultraviolet bug zapper for the ones from the Hutton Disco, meaning that instead of a thorough decontamination, most of the pilots got a dose of Saturday Night Fever. As a result, upon their first shower, various contaminants made their way into the filtration systems, overloading them and bringing everything crashing down around our ears. The food pellet processing auto-vending machine started making everyone t- everything taste like kale. The soup dispenser had a spelling error and everyone started frothing at the mouth. The mug-making machine decided that it was a student of Salvador Dali and stuck handles in every which way and of course the automatic gin distillery moved the decimal point and the resulting fluid ate its way through the bulkhead. The effect of this is a temporary pause in the hot mess while Hutton fixes the hot mess on its very own doorstep. Mugs will be available soon, but values of soon vary from soon to soonish depending on how many people help out. Or even soon! Alvin has put out an emergency beacon asking for support for Hutton stations in Alpha Centauri, bringing in new machines and of course plenty of food because on one in their right mind no one in their right mind wants to eat kale. <laughs> Not content with running the galaxy, 
And turning a blind eye to the dastardly Don's evil DNA vivisection on Jurassic World, his menagerie on Planet Zoo, and his torture path on Planet Coaster in his secret system somewhere in the bubble, the Pilots' Federation are turning their hand to a new venture. Barney Ecclescake, media mogul and famously rich former Imperial, has undertaken to start a galactic Grand Prix management empire. Modelled on a buckyboarder race base and featuring all the latest in crowd-pleasing noises, dangerous-looking crashes, driver tantrums and, of course, weekly controversies about who has been cheating the rules by adding jumponium to their fuel, he has been hawking the broadcast rights to every media outlet in the galaxy. Of course, with the only official media outlet, Galnet, being totally AWOL, he wasn't offered very much, though Lave Radio are said to have looked down the studio sofa and found a couple of credits and a part sucked Werther's original. We'll be keeping a close eye on the developments of this new racing formula and are taking bets as to whether it will feature famous two-part music masterpiece The Chain somewhere in the opening credits. We all know of daredevils that pride themselves in exiting supercruise at the last possible moment. They regale us with tales of actually exiting beyond the back wall of a station or beneath the surface of a planet. Well, on Sunday, Commander Kvulfsuk, also known as Seawolf X UK, discovered that it is possible to exit Supercruise too late, and yet not late enough, as he found his ship entering normal space actually within an object that made up part of the station. And he couldn't move! Mass locked. He couldn't re-enter Supercruise, and despite incredibly useful advice such as lower your landing gear, buy a new paint job, and get yourself a new anaconda at Hutton Orbital, he was resigned to having to self-destruct when a, a final, and this time useful, piece of advice was offered. Do nothing, just sleep on it. Returning to his ship a few hours later, he found that the station had spat him out, and he was once again free. And the moral of this story is, as said by the author Marty Rubin, struggle is less effective than doing nothing. Around 15 months ago, the boffins at ADSM, you didn't think that Canon had a monopoly, did you? Said that we had discovered 0.007639% of the galaxy and would take 45,447 years, 5 months and 11 days to discover it entirely. Commander I, as he has done regularly over the years, pointed out that we've overtaken that figure. As of yesterday, we've discovered 0.012432% of the galaxy and at this rate, it will now take 37,967 years, 3 months, 17 days to discover it entirely. That may seem like still a heck of a long time, but in those 15 months, we've reduced the estimated time by nearly 7,500 years. That kind of acceleration could see the process finish in five years. No, of course the mass doesn't work like that, but it's nice to think, eh? Of course, none of you are out exploring at the moment, are you? Surely you're all taking part in Operation Hot Mess. As Outbreak reaches as far as Colonia, 
The galaxy proves that it is justifiably called dangerous, and passenger ships become even less popular as a mode of transport than travelling with Nocti when he's checking if no brakes is just a metaphor. We need to find new ways to safely greet each other. Gone are the traditional ways for pilots to acknowledge that they're in the presence of a fellow waggler of the stick, or a presser of buttons on their joypad. No more rubbing noses, touching the feet of elders, hugging, even with the permission of the huggy, fist bumping without you both wearing gloves, or kissing the ring, either one, and handshakes are right out. Scientists have concluded that the best and least likely ways to give you a nasty case of mods when greeting someone is to firstly make sure you start at least five metres apart. The same distance as we crew members of the Aurora Australis give to non-breeding seals. Holding up a sign that says hello, as if you're waiting for a passenger at a spaceport, is all well and good, but it doesn't allow for very much in the way of variety. We love a bit of discipline as much as the next man, uh, or woman, or non-binary, or non-human, or other, but we do like to crack the whip and find other ways to get to know our fellow creatures. With that in mind, this is the Hutton Orbital Guide to the top 10 best ways to greet other commanders. Why not give some of these a try at the next ECM? At number 10, sticking out your tongue. This goes down a treat in cold, mountainous countries where it should take far too long to disrobe enough to use any other part of your body and has the added advantage that the other person can check to see if you have any signs of infection. Number nine, the air kiss. The mwah mwah, so popular with artistic types, works very well, as long as there's at least two or three metres between you. If in doubt, stand in separate rooms for this. Eight, bowing. An obvious one, there's no physical contact, and is either intended to show deep respect or a none too subtle indication of, look at my shoes. Do make sure that before bowing you perform a quick piece of mathematics to check that the distance between you is at least the sum of the two upper bodies in question to avoid adding concussion to the list of ailments you may acquire. Number 7. Demolition Man High Five For those of you that have not seen the vidcast, it's the same as a regular high five, except that you stand a distance apart and wave the palms of your hands around in opposite directions. Effective, but it looks stupid. Number 8. The Vulcan Salute. Beloved of many and hated by people who can't make their fingers go that way without the use of elastic bands. Sorry, Harry. Number 7. For people that you dislike, or for friends who enjoy a bit of banter, why not use the two-finger salute incorrectly attributed to the English bowman at Agincourt and secretly used by Winston Churchill behind the cigar. Number six, the Haka. Intended to intimidate their enemies and created in a land that's only 2,500 kilometers from the home of the Aurora Australis. Yes, it's the second time we've used their name in this item, but apparently since we have a special guest, we have to take every opportunity to bring this up. This is similar to the number 10 entry, sticking out your tongue, 
But this is an advanced version involving squatting as if you need to release an enormous fart, slapping your thighs, and then moving about a bit. Oh, and you need to be prepared to play with odd-shaped balls. At number five, why not follow the example of Lord Melchit, who's recently joined the truckers? Stand still and say, BAH! in a loud voice. Number four, thump your chest with both hands, screech in an unintelligible manner, and optionally, throw feces round the room. This is known as the Simoth Method. Number three, Imperial Salute. Beloved of Imperials who slap their chest to cover the sound of a fart, and then they throw their hand out in a salute crying, Better out than in! Number two, Waving. Who doesn't like a good wave? This can be used to convey emotion at the same time. From you who wave all the way up to I see you but don't come any closer because then I'll be forced to leave the room. The wave can be used at any occasion. But number one, the scientist's choice, the most popular and in our opinion, the very best way to greet another commander is the good old traditional 07 salute. Lift that hand, but remember not to touch your face as you say, Greetings, Commander. There are rumours of mass broadcast activity some 1600 light years from the bubble, as the Gorgon Research Facility in NGC 7822 Sector BQ-YD12 I love how they name these planets has become a hive of activity in recent weeks. The Robotics and 3D Hollow Me nearly live-action acting division of Fantastic Broadcast Group, part of the Fantastic Everything Group, is preparing to launch the movie adaptation of its popular board game, The Gorgon's Lock. Reportedly starring Zamina Torval lookalike Dame Judi Dench, the 50th, as The Gorgon, the, Al Hollow Me, sorry, the AI Hollow Me of Arnold the Governator Schwarzenegger as our hero, He's back, apparently, just as promised. The Humber as the Loch, and our very own Commander Wotherspoon as the exciting-sounding movie trailer voiceover it promises to be this season's blockbuster movie. The Gorgon Research Facility was chosen as the site for this film studio and soundstage as it was marginally nearer than Hull, where the original game and accompanying book series were made. Rumours of cameos from a variety of well-known galactic superstars, including David Brubin of Barnard Star as an ogre, Yamix as a troll, and Harry Potter as himself, are unconfirmed as of yet, but a variety of pirates of all shapes and sizes have been hired as the chorus line. We wish the chief executive, director, producer, writer, script supervisor, first AD, Second AD, Grip, Runner, and Best Boy, Mr. Grub, all the best in his latest venture. Good evening, truckers. Ages 5060 here. Or rather I'm not, because I parked at Hutton and then everything went wrong. I mean, Sarg uses all those nasty weapons to take everything offline, and it, all it took was docking at the orbital, and I went a bit, a bit wrong. So, all I'm going to say is, for the mug, and has anyone got a toolkit handy? Anyone? Anyone? There's really only one thing to do with the BGF this week. 
Clear the infrastructure failure in Alpha Centauri. We can't buy mugs without it. Any items from the machinery or foods category should help. Machinery so we can fix stuff and food to feed the workforce who are fixing stuff. As usual, Colonia was feeling left out and has decided to copy their betters in the bubble by having their own infrastructure failure in tier. Instructions as above. Apart from that, just the usual stuff in both the bubble and Colonia. The BGS is way too stable nowadays. Over to Norma. One diary item has been brought to our attention this week. It looks like a good one. Palcon would like to ask the Super Truckers to one of our open events. It's part of our Paladin games where the different houses fight against each other for glory. But we decided to open it to other factions. The more the better. Announcing the next Paladin Games event, Assassin, open to everyone on Friday the 13th, Big Papa's Base and Hirimi, 19 GMT, sign up here at http colon slash slash tiny dot cc slash kill. That sounds romantic, fighting for honour and glory. No chance of getting loot to do anything like that. Last time I asked Lou if he'd fight for my honour, he said he'd rather fight for the French at the Battle of Agincourt, because that was lost much more recently. Flossie will tell you about the progress of Operation Hot Mess later, but this week's memorable stations are Old Hangar and Young Terminal in the Gerda system, Beer Dock and Tijiwan, which Commander Infant Dreamer says is Little Willie's home station. On to more important community news and a subject that is dear to Flossie's heart. The Fuel Rats have just completed their 70,000th rescue. Yes, 70000 rescues. More rescues than mugs being delivered in Operation Hot Mess. Over 96% of all attempted rescues were successful. All Fuel Rat rescues are worth celebrating. But because of an accident of timing that will be of interest to numerologists, the rats involved in the 70,000th rescue were Revenov and Darth Teal. God, that was... Sorry. Well, thank you one and all, and now it's time for the really obvious tune that everyone saw coming a mile off. Yes, yes, yes indeed. It is the end of the world as we know it. But we feel fine. <coughs> oh, what a tune. Um, obviously heralding the current situations we all find ourselves in. Uh, <sighs> If you're out it's there. terrible, this infrastructure failure. Yeah. I mean, my chair doesn't go up and down, the microwave's broken. Yeah, I mean, I went to get a Coke, and I'm, I couldn't tell you what what came out of the bloody machine. I just wanted a drink, and, you know, I didn't have a need for a long rubbery When phallus. they say made in Scotland from girders, I didn't think they were meant to make it literally. Yeah, well, you know, that's the way these things go, isn't it? Just one little problem, the next thing you know, it's a big massive problem, and everybody's running around going crazy, and you try and go for a poop, and you can't even let your arse, because someone's nicked all the luro. What's with that? The world's gone absolutely stark raving mad, that's what it is. Yeah, 
It's time to push those big red buttons, leaders. Time to push their buttons. Just go yep, for all it. Of those, all of those end-of-the-world survivalists over in America who've got their million years' worth of food and armed to the teeth are saying, yeah, we told you, the zombie apocalypse is here. See if... if <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got it handled. <laughs> See if it is a flat Earth. Can we not just strap rockets along one edge and then spin ourselves like a big sort of space flick book? Oh, <laughs> I get awfully sick. That could be great fun. Uh, right. Anyway, um, busy, 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 busy week. We've had obviously an awful lot of developments in the old real world that have horrendous, nightmarish effects for some of us. So, if you are one of those. Uh, Many who are now finding themselves stuck in your house, then uh, thank you for giving up a bit of your evening to join us and hopefully we can help lighten your night uh, and give you a few giggles, but crikey, we have some special guests tonight. Oh yeah, well we have to say also before we go on, uh, thank you very much to all the people in, well the National Health over here in the UK, but in other countries as well, who are working exceedingly hard to look after everybody. Putting themselves uh, literally uh, on the line. Oh, they—they they are, and you know, enormous thank you to everybody. Um, see, my my other half, uh, Miss, Mrs. Van Tien, is 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 currently in hospital as well, and being very well looked after by the NHS. So, um, I know one or two of them listening too, uh, including our very own Commander Claire Helen, who's yeah. working super hard to keep everybody safe as well. And it's just an enormous thank you to all of them who are going to work regardless, um, to make sure everybody else stays safe. So, thank you very much to all of them. Yeah, we can't. We can't. Yeah, yeah, there's just no no thanks we can give big enough that you deserve. Uh, without you, we'd be screwed. Absolutely. Brilliant people. Yep. Yeah. Here, here. They don't make many of them. I tell you what, they're the toughest. The toughest bloody stuff. Obviously, my my grandmother who who lived to ninety six, was that kind of cast iron World War nurse. You know, the kind that no no illness seemed to stop. She had a broken back, half a lung, you name it. She was uh, unstoppable. And then that old, old age robbed us of her. But, um, you know, that's, I mean, you appreciate the, the, the your attitudes and your, your abilities and your skills and your desire to keep us well when we need you is uh, a, just a, a badge of honour. Really Absolutely, and of course, uh, we our very own um, Commander Palantir this evening. L- luckily, it's it's a good old-fashioned common cold, also known as man flu, which of course makes him feel dreadful. Is not with us this evening, but he's under the tender ministrations of Mrs. Palantir, who I think is making him a nice sausage casserole for dinner. No, no, it's not allowed. It's not allowed. He's only allowed to get Heinz chicken soup. He's meant to suffer. The food in that hotel that he lives in, that mansionette with the massive Michelin star chef, it's just not fair. He should be made to suffer. Chicken soup only. Yeah, and uh, mansionette's a bit like a maisonette. He's poorly. He deserves what he enjoys, and he enjoys sausage. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I say it's, it's a bit like a maisonette, just with better chefs in it, his house, oh, I think. Geez. Oh, there's a sausage for him. <laughs> anyway, we've got a real busy studio this evening, so we, we don't have Commander Palantir, but we do have a wealth of guests and presenters joining us. So we better say hello to everybody before we move on with the, the content bit. Obviously, we have you, Mr. Cow. Hello. It's your week this week. 
Ah, fair to Midland. You know, just been trying to keep things going. Um, due to be down in Wimbledon next week, but um, we were we had a call two weeks ago suggesting that we shouldn't, and I think probably I better heed their advice. Yeah, it's just too too risky at this point to, for um, Susie's health and for Moof, our tech monkey. We've got to try and protect him as long as we can. Um, but so yeah, we can't we can't have a sick sick monkey. No, no that, that would not, not do at all. all. No, no, definitely not. His new medication, however, and that's something that's you know his new medication seems to be having a, a positive effect. So that's a good thing so that's good news in that front oh good but we've been working hard and on lavecon setups and ecm setups and um playing with arcades which has been a lot of fun thanks david for it's addictive isn't it you you and me both yeah you just can't just leave it with one button no you've got to have 20 oh no i just need to i just need that one more game oh, i need one more one more sonic one more one more uh what is it uh, street fighter bit of capcom yes capcom's brilliant i love it Sorry. Capcom versus the Marvel and oh yeah yeah I'm reliving my youth and it sounds like you and uh, Mr. Moof are doing the same at the moment uh, but, uh, we, have, we have an epic an epic arcade machine built one already fully built ready for ECM yep and then I think you're doing the second one mine's going to be more of a sort of mobile uh, four player station ah right but it'll be it'll be epic fun for those um so that's good. Looking forward to that. But that's enough. Uh, other than that, it's just been you okay. know, Susie's working, and that's it. So nothing exciting. Yourself? Excellent. And then what? Well, pull up well, one of those. I, I'm, I'm now gainfully unemployed. I mean, as as you know, I spend my life on events. Yay! With tens of thousands of people cramming themselves into spaces and breathing all over me and spreading germs. And unfortunately, the UK events industry decided we don't want to play anymore as of this week. So despite no uh, government intervention, and I don't blame them at all, there is no criticism implied, it is a really sensible decision, but every single one of my contracts for the next three months has now cancelled, which means you get to have lots more of me on the show, and writing new... Oh, uh, crap. Adverts. This is worse than death. (laughs) I know, it's terrible. So, uh, yes, unfortunately, um, I now have zero work left because of keeping the public safe and not having millions of them squeezed into small spaces. So I was supposed to be on the photography show. Just a quick question. Home building show. Just a quick question. Are you sure that it's a genuine situation and they've not just figured out a really good way of getting rid of you? Well, uh, there is that, I suppose. You should maybe sort of sneak along. It's the no no Dave club. Yes. It's a worldwide conspiracy. It mm. is absolutely well. It worldwide too because it, it looks very likely that a certain U.S. president's going to ban me from going to visit Buck. Boo! Oh no! Um, no, he can't be denied uh, barbecue. Well, he hasn't worked out yet that um, the UK is actually geographically in Europe, even though we're not politically connected anymore. And he hasn't banned anybody from the UK yet, but it's only a matter of time. So I may not be going to Houston anymore, which is terrible. Um, yeah. And I'm not going to Frankfurt, and I'm not going to Paris, and I'm not going to Birmingham, and I'm oh, yes. Oh come on! And you so, just listed like oh, international what? beautiful places, and then you throw in Birmingham right at the end. Yeah. <laughs> but but I, I will. I, I am going to Cambridge. Oh, that's the yeah. only one that's left. And in fact, it's Sod's Law dictates is the only work I've got left is the work that's on the week of LaveCon. The only one that hasn't cancelled is the one that's interfering with me going Ooh. to LaveCon. And that's known as Sod's Law, that is. Indeed. Yeah. It is. Well. Cost me a fortune, that is. 
<laughs> yep. Well, um, but it, it it does mean that I'll be available to do things like not write the script in time and um, put tongue twisters into the news and talk to guests and stuff. But um, uh, so also in the studio. That's enough about me. And yes, uh, lots lots of love to my wife, who's currently in uh, an ITU unit on a ventilator over in a hospital because she's a bit poorly and waiting on tests to come back. So huge, um, my son and I are love and support self isolating and at the moment, just in case we're all plague ridden and you too as well you and harry as well make sure you guys look after yourselves and you know don't forget to eat because you know without sarah there to make sure you're going to forget important things like getting dressed before you go out and all that kind of stuff so we'll get flossy onto you if you're not careful well with the, with the, with the pan and talking of yeah. flossy yes we, we as always have flossy in the studio with us hello flossy hello oh, <laughs> ouch um and and i'm assuming you in the wrong way are doing well Yes, yeah, we're doing okay, thank you. Uh, well, I've got a bit of shopping today and uh, took precautions like why, taking disinfectants for the handles of the trolley and things like that. No, you weren't panic buying, were you? You didn't buy all of the chicken no. soup in the shop? No, no, we didn't, no. Oh, very well behaved of you. And then <laughs> alongside Flossie, we have the, the slightly shorter legged than he was before because he wore them down, Commander Dead Meat. Good afternoon. And and how are your legs? Gradually recovering. Gradually recovering. For those that don't remember, what did you do last weekend? Uh, I ran a half marathon. Ooh. And um, did you beat your time? I did, yes. And did By you raise loads of money minutes. for charity? We raised £1,255. Woohoo! If we had so a cheer sound I effect, must... we'd play it now. Yes, I thank I thank everybody who donated. There were some great donations from the truckers, and obviously from other people as well. But yes, it was absolutely fantastic to raise that kind of money. Well, well, well done you, and uh, thank you very much for putting your your poor feet and thighs on the line. That uh, was awesome. <laughs> Woohoo! And then um, alongside Commander Deadmeat, we have the recently ever present Commander Wotherspoon. Lovely to have you live again with us, sir. Recently ever present. Yes, yes. I am I am recently ever present. It's lovely to be here. Um yeah. I I've I've heard that it's um it's alcohol that kills the, the virus, isn't it? So I'm I'm I've got some I've got some chocolate liqueurs here and I'm eating them. Oh, I think that that'll help. Delicious. Won't it? You've got to share around the room though. Oh I will, I will absolutely. So it's a kilogram, so it's enough. And, and Keeping you company to to one side, we we've got uh, Buck Naked himself alive this week. We have a live Buck. No, we don't. Oh, he's gone yeah, asleep. Oh, he's back again. There we go. <laughs> I just had to get over to the mouse fast enough. How y'all doing? Yeah, but we're a bit sore about not coming to the U.S. of A. Well, you know, I mean, even with that, uh, I don't know how long your wife may be poorly, but it might not be a good idea for you to jump on that plane and leave her behind either. No, nope, uh, certainly not there, sir. Yeah, unfortunately, all this is just everything is just so up in the air. Yes, and but it's you've terrible. been you've been uh, updating us about the the space center and the new things that I'm not going to see by not being there now. <laughs> You'll get over here one year, and then we'll go. Go, go t tell us what is the what is the new addition to the space center, the Johnson Space Center, though. Is it a giant um, Johnson? The newest addition is the Falcon X Nine booster, um, donated by, of course, uh, SpaceX, and um, it's sitting there in Rocket Park for all to see. 
So it looks pretty cool. Well, I'll have to send you along to take some pictures for me. But uh, thank you very much for joining us this evening. And you've got a Hutton tr Top Trucker lined up for later. Yep, that'll be later. Yep. And then we have Amelia. Hello, good evening. Hello. Now, that, this does mean I'm not going to be able to take your special thingy over to there yes. for, for, for him. Yes, I know. I'm going to figure out another way. Don't worry. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to. I'll well, send it you is, the, I'll send it is you postponed. the uh, funds for uh, mailing it. Uh, well, the trip is postponed, that. so I might be making a, a later trip than intended. You never know. Well, um, either way, don't worry. It'll be on its way. And thank you, Amelia. We've got two. Not oh, one, oh, but wait, two. Wait. Oh, 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 I want to oh, throw oh. in a quick joke. I guess you could say, eventually I'll get my just desserts from Amelia. <laughs> oh, no. All right, back to you. And obviously we've got two special guests in the studio. We're going to be talking to them extensively in a minute. Um, but Mr. Cow, would you, would you like to introduce very briefly our two guests before we move on to speak to the first of them? Yeah, um, briefly, um, Dog's Breath and Dan. Excellent. Hi. They're here. Okay, no, that, that was that. Um, yeah, well, we have... we have A um, roving reporter, Uncle Travelling Mac, Dog's Breath, obviously, uh, who you may recognise from countless hundreds of pictures of strange people on boats holding mugs. Uh, but we'll have more of that from Dog's Breath and uh, Dave later on. And then, uh, when you think of images that turn you to stone, there you cast an image of Dan Grubb in your mind. That's the only sight so horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> and then, when you think about running around naked and jumping into freezing cold areas of water, then you think of Scotland and our wonderful locks. Put them together, and what have you got? A very shriveled up Dan Grubb and his Kickstarter <laughs> for Gorgon's Lock. And we'll be talking to Dan and finding out about that as well. You're a genius and a bastard, and I love you dearly. <laughs> But hi, everybody. Hi. I'm a little bit worried hey. about Amelia's special thing, but uh, I'm sure you guys will get it sorted. It's an after-dinner thing. Well, no, I think it's, it's Buck's special thing, but it's just Amelia's responsible for Buck's special thing. That's, that's the... <laughs> it's a hell of a lot of responsibility, that is. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, anyway, I suppose we ought to. Um, you may have heard him earlier, the uh, our Antipodean-toned one from the uh, news earlier. It is traditional that we invite at least one of the special guests to um, join in the news articles, but we were joined by Commander Dog's Breath, also known as Andy. Good evening, Andy. Hello, everyone. How are we all? Oh, not too bad. It's early in the morning for you, is it not? It's awful, yes. It's, uh, well, it's 8.13 8, 8 now, but it was 6.30 when I set my alarm clock to get up in the morning. So um, wh when did you get back? Obviously, I'm, I'm going to do a short intro because uh, we've been talking about it loads, but you haven't been joining us. You've been updating us via various sit reps on, on the uh, AAD website and also emails coming through. So uh, Commander Dog's Breath has been responsible for the two mugs going down to the Antarctic. He is uh, mission leader, or was, I should say, up until, was it yesterday you handed over? Uh, no, so uh, it would have been two days. Well, actually, to be honest with you, the day we get back, we got back last Friday, and I pretty much step off the ship and I hand it to my boss and say, all the problems are now yours. And then I go home and drink beer. But you've been updating us for the last couple of months, um, not, not quite daily, but almost daily from the Aurora Australis. Yeah, that's right. As, so, as the I'm, listeners I'm, have heard from the last little bit, was is Australia's only icebreaker, I think you said? 
Uh, yes, it's now it's now our only not our, and not our only icebreaker. So we don't actually have one anymore. So um, the trip we did, which was uh, the third voyage, there's there's um, four voyages each year to resupply Australia's four Antarctic stations. Well, three continental Antarctic stations and one sub-Antarctic station. And Voyage Free is the last voyage of the season. So we go down to um, to Mawson Station, which is the furthest away, and we resupply it and we refuel it. And then we swing by Davis Station on the way home and pull all the summer expeditioners out. Uh, and then we come back to Australia. And the last voyage is down to Macquarie Island, so it's quite a short voyage. It's only three or four days sail from here. And the ship's doing that now. And when the ship comes back from that, it's no longer a certified icebreaker and it's no longer uh, our icebreaker. So we're um, looking for a new one. If anyone's got a spare, let us know. Well, I'm sure. Is, I mean, is it retired, retired? I mean, is this wonderful vessel going to carry on another life, a, a second life? Or I mean, do, oh. we, do we know what's going to be happening to it in its uh, near future? I, I actually don't know. It's um, certainly the the guys on the ship so i guess i should also back up the bus a little bit and say i don't actually um work for the ship so the ship has a captain who drives the ship and under the captain there are officers well actually the captain doesn't do all the driving the officers do the driving the captain's their boss um and then they have um engineers who make it run and they have cooks in the in the galley who cook all the food so there's a whole sort of crew who run the ship and they're all part of um P&O maritime services and I go down as the uh, my official title is the voyage leader. So I'm sort of like the um, the boss uh, representing the Australian government on the ship. Um, so I know that we're not going to use the icebreaker anymore. And I know that its ice certification expires and it needs to go and get um, checked up. And I think they're talking around around a $10 million sort of bill just to get it in a dry dock, lift it out of the water and decide whether it's possible to extend its icebreaking career. Uh, which might you know involve replacing bits of steel and metalwork and stuff like that. Um, but there's also been talk in the media about, uh, for example, the Australian government needing a ship that it can use for rescuing people when there are fires in New South Wales off the coast. Uh, so little things like that as well. It sounds like though it was an epic forge. I mean, this is I'm just uh, you're back. You had a cold beer when I assume the, the vessel is dry on the entire trip, but you had a nice cold beer waiting for you when you got home. Yeah, that's right. So the um, the vessel's dry, except we have two special occasions. Um, so the captain and I sort of sit down and decide when we have those. So they're often, you know, for example, we might have a, uh, a barbecue on the on the trawl deck or the heli deck as we sail in amongst the ice for the first time, uh, and we'll break out beers and we, you know, we we don't go crazy. It's a couple of beers each, so it's just enough to have a, you know, a taste of beer and um, get a little bit sociable. Um, so we do that a couple of times on the voyage. But otherwise, yeah, it's completely dry. So um, I was very happy to have a beer when I got home. It would be fair to stay. And um, for those of you who are Australian, uh, you would probably have heard of the beer, but those of you in England wouldn't. It was um, It's made on an island off Tasmania called Bruni Island, and it was a whey stout made with whey from the Bruni Island Cheese Factory. And it is possibly one of the nicest beers in the world. If you can get a bottle and taste it, I'd recommend it. We know we do have at least one other Aussie tuning at the moment. I think Funky Abigail has just yelled Aussie, Aussie, Aussie in the chat channel. Good on you, Abigail. So we know there's at least one other Aussie tuning in at the moment. I know a few listen on the podcast as well at this, because it's broadcast at an unearthly hour for you, this this show. Um, but we've got can a series I, of... So series can can, of, can, oh, I, can I ask a question? Because there was an icebreaker, and now there isn't an icebreaker. 
Is there anybody left at Mawson and Davis? So if, no, no, no. All, everyone came back. It just lost its certification. There's like a little bit of paper you have to pin on the side of the icebreaker. If it's not there, you can't break ice. So, um, right. yeah. So, <laughs> so does that mean that there's nobody in the Antarctic anymore? Oh, sorry. No, I understand the question. No, sorry, my mistake. Yeah, no, there is. So we leave. Um, we leave what are called the winterers. So they're this uh-huh. sort of strange uh-huh. bunch, bunch of unusual creatures. Um, and uh, it depends on the station and the sort of traffic that goes through it and the work they're doing. But um, whether there's an infrastructure project on over the winter. But um, when we leave Antarctica, so we left Antarctica at the end of February, beginning of March. Um, the winter sets in, the ice freezes, and it's very hard to get a ship back down there. So. Um, so there's a group of about, I think we left 16 people at Mawson Station. I think there's about 20 at Davis. Um, and those guys are completely isolated now until probably, oh, in the old days we used to go down in September. So that would be about the soonest you'd get a ship down there. So they're basically isolated from now till September. We have we have done medevacs using complicated logistics flying aircraft down to an American station called McMurdo. And then across over the top of the South Pole, um, thoroughly disproving any uh, flat Earth theories, by the way, um, to <laughs> to our Antarctic stations, and then we've re- landed them on the ice, refueled them, picked up the medevac person, and then flown them back to uh, either Australia or back out the way we come in. But to do that costs, you know, about, I don't know, five or six million dollars, and it's extremely difficult, and there are certainly risks involved. So basically, yeah, there's about 15 people at each station, and they're isolated for the winter. And that's the same with all the nation stations in Antarctica. You know, the um, the British and the Russians and um, everyone else is in the same sort of uh, situation. They all get isolated for the winter. Wow. So those people who are now down in Antarctica, they presumably are hoping that the Australian government's going to buy a new icebreaker. <laughs> they would kind of like that. But, well, so, so I guess backing the bus up a little bit, we have got a new icebreaker being built at the moment. Uh, and it's currently, I think it's in the Danube. Uh, but the build, of course, in true government fashion, is running late. Um, so it was meant to start, I think it was originally meant to start at the end of this season. It was meant to be down in um, in the Southern Hemisphere. And now it's not looking like being um, working for us anyway until possibly the very end of this time next year. So they've put out a, um, a request for proposal and a tender process. And I think they've found a Northern Hemisphere vessel that will be able to assist us next year by doing one or two voyages to antarctica so i think they're going to be they'll have a ship of sorts um we one of the things we did when we went to mawson uh, on this last trip was we delivered uh, six iso containers so they're like 20 foot shipping containers that are basically just designed for storing fuel in we filled them up with fuel we filled the station with fuel seven hundred eighty thousand liters of diesel all up um, and that's enough fuel for them to not get a ship next year. So we know that if the worst worst happens, we can fly in during the summer to Mawson, fly the expeditioners out, put the new ones in, and fly a bit of food in, and they can survive without any visits from a ship next year at all. So we have got a bunch of contingency plans in place. So, so talking about wow. flights, by the way, when we were talking a couple of days ago, we were talking about the, the planes because there were some tweets came out from the... Um, uh, the, the Australian government department um, about planes and flights and airstrips. I mean, that you just use, you know, ice flattened bits of ice as a landing strip. What what planes do you use when you when you go down there? Okay, so um, so one of our stations at Casey Station, which is the um, 
which is sort of the one that's below Australia, really. The other two are around to the west. Um, we have a aerodrome. So it's called the Wilkins Aerodrome, and it's an area of the plateau about 70 kilometres inland from Casey Station uh, that's high enough that it's, it gets uh, temperatures that are cold all year round, so it doesn't get positive temperatures. Um, and what we do, and it has very low snow accumulation. So basically, we just compact the snow surface about three and a half kilometres, and we land an Airbus, an A219, uh, and we land C17s as well on the ice. And actually, about two or three, uh, about a week ago, we flew down a C130 with long range tanks on that, landed there, refueled, and flew back. So we use that to fly people to and from Antarctica. So that's our intercontinental air link. And then what we have at each of the stations are uh, what are called skiways. So the skiways are for smaller planes that use skis instead of wheels. Um, they can obviously still land on, a, on, the, on the runway at Wilkins, on the compacted snow runway. I should add that uh, the, the compacted snow runway where we add the air, land the Airbus and the C-17s, they texture the surface and then as long as the temperature is below a certain amount, it's around, around minus seven, um, as long as the temperature is below around minus seven, the, the texture of this ice surface has the same friction coefficient as concrete. So it's just like landing on a normal concrete runway. Um, so in, in, in terms of the planes, you were telling us there are a couple of planes that land out there that are actually older than everybody who's actually at the Antarctic. Right, that's correct. So, um, so the smaller planes that we fly between the skiways... Uh, we use two, predominantly two different types of plane. One is a thing called a twin otter. So they haven't made them since the mid-60s. So they're fairly old planes. And they're kind of like the aviation tractors of Antarctica. Um, the other planes, the really old ones, are things called DC-3s. So everyone's probably seen, you know, Second World War movies and so on. Um, I remember working a couple of years ago with a guy called Bob, uh, Ray Cameron and... Ray was 60 at the time. He was 63 years old and his plane was 64 years old. So actually, it's probably about 10 years ago. And um, his plane was used, it was a DC-3 that was used to tow a glider to Holland in Operation Market Garden in 1994. And it crash-landed on a farmer's paddock, in a farmer's paddock. Uh, and it sat there for about 20 or 30 years before it got rebuilt. Um, and what they do with the DC-3s is they take the old heavy sort of 600 kilo piston engines off these rotary piston engines off and they put really lightweight um turbo props on them pratt and whitney turbo props and they stick them on big engine nasals that push them forwards so that they maintain the central gravity of the plane and you can then fill the planes with fuel you can get about nine between nine and ten hours um of non-stop flying out of one of these things and they do they do about 300 miles an hour so they're, they're not really our tractors. You have to groom a surface for them to land on, but they land on skis. Um, and yes, yeah, so these are things left over from the Second World War that are still chugging around Antarctica, you know, flying with amazing bits of science equip equipment on them and all sorts. Okay, so um, that's all about, excuse me, I'm losing my voice a tiny bit. So that, that's all about the sort of transportation down there. But we've got a series of questions from the crew here. I think Flossie had the first question. I'm uh, bringing it back to some relevance to this show a tiny bit. Yeah. Uh, what's your background in Elise? Right. So um, I am, I mean, I live and work in Australia. I've been here since 1990. 
but I'm originally from Milton Keynes, home of the concrete cows, and um, and my father uh, was working on a sort of a youth um, engagement project in Milton Keynes. He was a minister of the cloth. He was a vicar, the rev, and um, working with the Thames Valley Crime Prevention Panel. And he wanted to put together a um, like a the equivalent now, sort of like a touch a touch screen um, sort of thing. So it was a TV panel that would sit in the shopping centres and it had buttons you could press to pull up uh, youth youth related information. And we went along to the Open University and they were sort of highlighting some new computers like um, BBC Micros and um, and uh, the old Acorn computers that Elite was originally uh, oh, yeah. originally came out on, you know, the old five and a half inch floppy disk. And there oh, were two yes. young people there. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure, Flossie, that it was uh, Ian Bell and uh, David Braben were there um, highlighting these computers and their game and um, had a little stand there at the Open University and one of them gave Dad a floppy disk and we took it home and suddenly I was immersed in the world of Elite. Uh, so well, that was in the sort of early 80s. Yeah, my husband used to play then as well. Very nice. Yes. And so it goes all the way, it goes all the way from there, yeah, all the so way down the to Hutton Mugs and the Antarctic now. Yeah, that's right. So then I played the Frontier Elite when I had my... Um, my DX4100 um, computer back in the sort of early 90s and then um, I became, an, as soon as Elite came out, you know, um, five, six years ago, I jumped straight on the Elite Dangerous bandwagon and then I I think we got in touch last year. We talked to each other last year, didn't we? And you sent me a couple of mugs but it just missed the ship. And of course, um, of course, then, uh, then mods broke out across the galaxy and we took two of these mugs to Antarctica thinking we'd cure the two stations we were visiting, Davis and Mawson and um, and with great irony, about two days before I arrived at, uh, at the first Antarctic station, only about a month ago, we got called and said, don't let, anyone, um, don't let anyone off the ship. We think you might have someone on the ship who could have come in contact with someone who's had a virus that's not called MODS, um, but is associated with a brand of beer. Well, that right. was uh, obviously a bit... Uh, no, this is... This is um... Yeah, this is where it gets a, a little bit. You, you had to the non-breeding seals thing that we mentioned earlier in the news. So you had to stay five meters from everybody and offload without actually seeing them in person at Davis. Yeah, that's right. So the awesome. first, that's right. So the first visit, it was the morning of the first visit. I woke up and um, um, and I, I, I we normally start with a meeting on the bridge of the ship at seven o'clock to confirm the plans for the day's activities. And sitting in my in inbox before I ran up to the bridge of the ship was an email saying, whatever you do, don't let anyone go ashore or touch anyone because we, I think what happened, we had a couple of people and it, it um, they'd, they'd passed through Thailand or Asia on the way, uh, on the way to, uh, to join us on the ship. And so they'd come in contact with people. So they basically said, you can do your cargo, but you can't let anyone off the ship uh, and they can't come in contact with anyone. Else. And I've sort of tried to come up with a way of, making it really clear to people how you know you know a way of describing the safe way we can interact from the barge to the people on the ship and i suddenly thought well all the people in antarctica get talk, taught this environmental stuff and one of the things we teach people are the safe distances from different bits of wildlife so the distance you can go from a breeding seal and a non-breeding seal are quite different a breeding seals i think it's 15 meters and a non-breeding seal is five meters um, and I thought, well, these basically, I looked at all the watercraft operators, there's 11 of them we bring down on the ship, these sort of crusty, boaty sorts of people. And I thought, well, they basically look like and behave like non-breeding seals. So um, so we'll just use that. Uh, and it worked perfectly well. And no one in Antarctica 
uh, has got coronavirus as a result. Or, or mods, of course. Right, oh, well, moving along, we, we, we've been, we've been, had a question from Mr. Deadmeat um, came across as well. Yeah, I noticed on some of the pictures you appeared to have an extremely well-behaved and rather static pet. And how's he Poor doing? Stay, yes, yes, Stay. So Stay's been with us since the dogs left Antarctica. So back in the early, ni- up till the sort of early 90s, we had dogs in Antarctica. All the nations used them for towing people around with dog sleds and you know there'd be 20 or 30 dogs at each station and we bred them there and um, they all got taken out of Antarctica so there was this sort of um, panic that canine distemper could affect all the seals down there and um, and all the all of us sort of expeditionary people down there thought it was ridiculous because you just vaccinate the dogs and surely it's, there's ways you could manage it but no everyone agreed the dogs had to go um, so one uh, one, one sort of winter whilst they were getting ready to come down, about a year or two before the dogs came out, um, the last of the dogs, uh, they thought, well, we need to replace the dogs with a dog. So they basically stole a dog from the Guide Dogs Association. So it's one of the dogs that's got a little coin slot in its head. Um, its name is Stay because it does reasonably well at doing that. Um, although it has travelled around the world at least twice. It's been to the Arctic. It's been to Russia. Um Various people have been responsible. Very few people um, fess up. I think the Guide Dogs Association has finally forgiven us for stealing Stay. Um, I think originally they said, we'll take the dog down and we'll raise money for you. But they didn't actually raise any money. The dog just got stolen and uh, never came back. And it's been stolen many, many times. So it's constantly being hijacked, kidnapped and stolen and taken from one station to another station or back to Australia. And it's got this long, long history and um, and I'll try and find it. I've, I've I've got bits and pieces written down. I'll try and find it, and we can sort of post it somewhere. But um, but yeah, yes, we, so we published a couple of weeks ago um, a a link to a book that was written about stay as well. Oh, okay, yes, that's perfect. That's then then yes, then people can hunt that link down. Um, and yes, yeah, so um, so stay came back to the ship, and I have to say that um, stay was always this sort of symbol of rebellion um, against the system by the by the hardworking expeditions of Antarctica, and it was the Station leader, I won't mention any names, um, but he was an ex-cop. And the station leader took the station, the, the stay from the ship, and he came back uh, to the ship. Uh, sorry, from the station, he came back to the ship in his own hijacked inflatable run- rubber boat, and he rushed on board the ship. You know, glorious with stay in his arms, uh, and then within about, uh, he gave it to the captain and said, "This ship has to go back to Australia to sail on the new ship." And within about two hours, the dog had been stolen from the captain's cabin where it was locked in his bunk with a key that someone else had a copy of, um, or they picked the lock, we're not really sure. Um, And then there was chaos and the ship was searched and eventually the captain and I managed to get Stay back uh, and we padlocked Stay on the bridge of the ship and every day the captain in the day orders and night orders would write, guard, stay the dog or die. Uh, And that did happen. Nor died. <laughs> well, then the, 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 other, the other bit is we've been learning lots of new language. Obviously, we've been watching the science videos by, by you and by Amy and by the rest of the team and learning a lot of new language. Mr. Cow had a bit of a question about the various words we've been learning. Wow. Throws me under the bus. Yes, hold on a second. Uh, right. What the hell? Yeah, because this caused no no end of, as you can imagine, great amusement when you start talking about growlers, bergibits, stooging, 
<laughs> but of course you did explain them, which unfortunately took the humour away from them when you start realising that they are actually proper terms. Uh, but our immature minds will still boggle. What else is there? What else can we have a wee snigger at? Oh, what else can you have? Um, uh, so when ice, so when the ocean freezes, right, um, uh, it forms ice, and the first ice you see on a calm day, and it usually freezes when it's calm, when the ocean's agitated, like when you're in 10-metre seas, it's really hard for things to turn solid. Um, everything gets a bit wobbly and goes a bit loose, um, literally speaking for some people. Um, so, um, so when the sea's nice and calm and the ice starts to freeze, the first ice you get is called grease ice so we get grease ice and then when the grease are, and it looks greasy it looks like grease on the water it looks like you know if you spill a bit of oil on the water um, and then that forms into um, nihilus which is a Scandin Norwegian word a Scandinavian word and nihilus looks like a white thin sheet uh, and it's still a little bit flexible so you can get nihilus up to about 10 centimeters thick and you can actually ski over it and it's really disconcerting because you can have waves and a swell through it at the same time you're skiing across it. So it's like skiing, literally skiing on water. Um, and that then gets pushed around by the winds and that forms finger rafting. So it rafts in these, one layer overlaps or underlaps the next layer and it forms these big long fingers. So you get finger rafting. Um, and that forms, uh, then if the, the wind picks up, it gets broken up and it forms pancakes. So we have pancake ice, which is very popular and common. And pancakes can be as little as, you know, 10 centimeters and as big as, well, we land hel helicopters on big bits of pancake, although by the time it's pancakes, it's really, um, it's really called sort of just pack ice, but they're still pancakes in shape. Uh, what else do we get? We get um, when an ice, ice, when a lump breaks off a glacier, it's just like a, it's just an iceberg. But if a lump breaks off an ice shelf, it's called a, it's called carving. So the ice shelves carve. Um, and the bit that breaks off is called a tabula berg usually because it's like this big table flat top thing that floats around. Um, we get really polished bergs. So the bottom of the berg, so remember of course that um, you experiment at school where 10% of the of the ice cubes above the water and the rest underneath. That obviously isn't cut and dried. That's when you do that experiment at school, you're using fresh water uh, and you're doing it usually sort of close to sea level and um, you know, there's no salt in the water. Salt water is different. Our icebergs and ice shelves have got lots of compacted snow, so there's lots of air in them. So there's more of them sticking out of the water. But um, what happens is they eventually bits break off, or they, they their balance gets thrown out, and they roll over. And then you have rollerbergs, which are really smooth and um, you know water washed um, from being under under the water. So there's all sorts of different bergs, and they've all got really bizarre names. Uh, and then the most confusing one. For a lot of people is you've got pack ice and you've got fast ice and you think that fast ice is fast but fast comes from the, um, the Scandinavian word fast which means stuck or not moving so fast ice is stuck fast to the land so um, so they're the uh, they're the two main sorts of ice we encounter when we're breaking ice in the ship well, we're learning at a rate, and of course, we're hoping <clears throat> Frontier are tuning in. So, when they design these beautiful ice planets that they promised us, um, they, they've got all these terms in there, especially as things to discover for the uh, the codex. Um, then um, we had a question question from Amelia coming up next. Hello. Um, so, I have heard that you've got craftspeople on board, and I've heard that you've been making things. So, I have a four part question. Uh, one: uh, Who has been making stuff? Uh, B, 
what have they been making? Uh, C, uh, why have they been making it? And four, what materials were used in the process? Right, Amelia, um, very good questions. So, um, so who has been making it? Basically anyone makes stuff. So people get bored um, and they want things to do, uh, so they make things. Um, so I'm just trying to think, um, we had, so, so there are people making stuff ashore on the station. So on the stations, there's limited social life. You know, it's not like you can go to McDonald's or go for a, you know, drive in the country. Actually, you can go for a drive in the country, but there's a lot of paperwork and stuff you have to fill out and your vehicle's probably got tracks instead of wheels and it's all a bit tricky. So people get a bit stuck on station and they need things to do. So, um, so they make stuff. Um, so everyone does it from, you know, from the chefs. We have artists who do beautiful paintings and sketches. We have um, tradespeople who make, um, make uh, lanterns and lamps. And on the ship, uh, these nautical sorts are sailory sorts. They make, um, they use bits of old rope and pilot ladders to make um, shelves and, uh, you know, like doormats and floor mats out of woven out of, um, out of old bits of ship's rope. That's cool. Um, that's so, cool. so that's the who and the what, and um, and in a way, it's a little bit of the, the the what that they use, you know, the materials they're using. So it's usually scrap. So the um, the why sort of um, also is uh, sort of leads into the the why we use the certain materials we use. So the why is um, it's usually for a fundraiser. So voyage free, the voyage we've just finished is the last continental voyage of the Aurora. So we bring everyone back from Davis and from Mawson Station. So we always come back with a pretty full ship. So we had 102, um, 102 passengers. Uh, so that's some um, people from Antarctica, um, plus the sort of 15 or so people who are part of my support team that, you know, who came down with us, uh, and 24 crew on the ship. So it's a big, it's a lot of people. And everyone's very generous. They've just spent their, you know, their season on the ship or their, uh, either, either a short summer of sort of three or four months right up to an 18 month summer, winter, summer. Um, and they've all got a bit of money in their pocket, and um, we raised uh, we raised um, money for Camp Quality, which is an Australian charity that provides assistance to young people with cancer um, to try and make their lives a bit better. So sometimes they provide assistance with medical assistance and so on, but they often just provide experiences for them. You know, so our helicopter com uh, company that we use, for example, might give the kids a free flight in the helicopter or something like that. Um, That's but awesome. we, so we, yeah, so that's and that you get more and the and the what materials we use, you get more money for something if you stole it from the Antarctic Division or from P and O. So <laughs> if it's a, if it's a bit of an old ship, you know, like a bit of pilot ladder that would have otherwise gone into the bin, um, or if it's um, a part of an old building that's been taken down in Antarctica, a bit of timber from that, uh, and you can then recycle that into something that's got um, that's got uh, aesthetic and uh, uh, value and use. Then that's great. Old nuts and bolts, you know. So we we literally chopped up from into thirteen pieces a um, uh, a big rock crushing plant, which is made out of all sorts of bits of steel uh, that you can put big boulders through, and they come out as dust from the other end. So we chopped that up to fit it in containers and bring it home. And I noticed there was a bunch of nuts and bolts and bits left over from that. So people might take those and turn them into bottle openers, for example. Um, yeah. So we that's recycle so cool. lots okay. of stuff. Yeah. So and it's good. It's like if you're like if you're bored or you need something to do or you just want a distraction then if you can potter off to the um, workshop on station um, and jump on a lathe and do stuff then um, that's good so and I do 
in my spare time, I do, do a bit of woodwork, so I've got a little wood turning lathe. So I make pens and pencils, um, and I turn them out of um, ideally out of bits, yeah, like bits of wood from the ship or from the station, uh, and that gives them some extra additional value. Well, that is so that cool. for a while. <laughs> so I mean, you sell the pens and pencils. So they get auctioned. We have a big fundraising auction. So um, we had about 100 different items got auctioned um, on the way home. And um, we had a special occasion. So we lubricated everyone with a couple of cans of beer each. Um, and then we, we stood up and we auctioned all these bits and pieces on the ship. And we raised $22,817. That is brilliant. That's another cheer from the team here. Woohoo! Wow. Yay! Right, um, and we have a question from our resident mug-smashing expert himself, uh, Mr. Grubb, who's our other guest who's coming on in a minute, because um, he's great at breaking mugs, but um, we've got a question from him. Uh, hi, uh, first of all, Andy, you're a legend. You're like a superhero to me. I am totally in awe of everything you have ever done. I, I must begin with that. Right, well, I'm not really a legend. I'm just lucky enough and dumb enough to have sort of fallen into this uh, fortunate position where I get to go and do really fun things. So it's really just luck more than anything, I would say. I'm Dude. basically a climbing skiing bum by trade with the emphasis <laughs> on bum. I love it. I absolutely love it that you're still determined you're, you're bumming your way through. However, um, uh, go, go on, Cal. Bound to have a gag you can throw in there. Um, yeah, I have a question about, about uh, the safety of the super precious cargo that you took uh, all the way to the Antarctic. Um, uh, yeah, I noticed that you didn't mention that stay stays all the time and I, i'd imagine in rough weather stay does his fair bit of skating around on the deck um how did you keep the mugs safe yeah it can be a challenge i have to say um the closest call i had was um whilst having a dump in my little bathroom on the ship so every cabin's got a bathroom and the bathrooms are molded from fiberglass uh, including the little counter with the sink in and i put my my uh the silver mug down there and I'd sat down and was sort of dreaming away and um, the ship rolled suddenly. I think we might have hit a lump of ice or something. I can't remember what the cause was. Um, and the next thing I knew there was this kabang and the mug landed on the floor uh, and bounced. Uh, and I managed to catch both the mug and the soggy tea bag that was still half hanging out of it in my hand without any injury. So that was <laughs> the closest call, I think. Um, there's There was a picture I took which, um, which an amazing talented artist um, has painted and it was the silver mug looking um, from the trawl deck me mezzanine so the trawl decks on the back of the ship um, and the mezzanine is this raised platform where you can stand and operate the winches when you're using the trawl deck to go fishing okay um, and there's a cutout in the side of the ship and I put the mug on the shelf of the cutout and it was I was trying to take a photo of the mug but the ship was shaking so violently the mug wouldn't stay where it was it was sort of like bouncing all over the place and trying to leap over the side of the ship so just out of the picture were my, was my hand ready to grab it. So that was quite fun. <laughs> That's cool. Um, I think I, yeah, I, I spotted that picture. <laughs> yeah, okay, good. Yes, good. And she's done an amazing job painting it. Her uh, artwork is quite amazing. Uh, very that that is, um, the artist you're mentioning is Jude, um, who does a lot of elite-rated artwork. I've just forwarded the picture over to uh, Mr. Cow. I don't know whether he's got the means to chuck that up on the screen at some point. Oh, that would be awesome, yes, because she's very talented. It would be good to share that with people. Um, I'm trying to think of others. So when I took the mugs ashore, when the mugs went ashore under my care, um, because at one point one of the mugs did get stolen, not unlike Stay the Dog does, um, and did disappear for some time. And there were photos of the mug um, 
during refueling operations and in a bunch of other places I didn't know it had gone. Um, so, so credit to them for pulling that off without me even realizing uh, that they were doing it. Uh, but it did return safely. But certainly when I sent it ashore, I dumped uh, an $800 radio, you know, sort of VHF handheld radio. We have lots of them. I dumped that and its charger into the um, waste paper basket, which is well padded with um, waste paper. And then I used that to transport the mug ashore because I was worried about damaging it. Because when we when we go ashore, we weren't using helicopters this voyage. Uh, so everyone has to go up and down the pilot ladder and all your gear gets lowered on a rope up and down the pilot ladder. And there is always a chance that it will get dunked or dropped or bashed quite violently. So um, so I was uh, very cautious. And on the bridge where we have tea, there's lots of um, uh, that, not, you know, that sort of non-slip um, mat on all the surfaces. So you put always put the mug down there and usually jam it up against like so it doesn't go flying. Because... On the bridge, if we're in big rolly seas, you're, um, the bridge is about 12 metres above sea level. So if you imagine the sort of pendulum effect um, of that, when you're in, say, um, say 10 metre seas, if the ship's rolling 45 degrees, you're doing, you know, sort of 15 or 20 metres from one side to the other with each roll. So in those situations, wow, wow. it is easy for the mug to become airborne and travel a fair distance. So That's I a crazy dance floor, man. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool actually. There's been a few injuries over the years of people who have let go and they've basically got these fantastic carpet burns as they've slid all the way from one end of the bridge <laughs> to the other. Um, yeah, so it can get a bit, it can get rocky and rolly. But this particular voyage, we we're really lucky actually. The strongest winds we had, I think, were around gusts around 70, 70 knots, which is about sixty miles per hour maybe. Um, and um, the biggest seas we had were only like five or six meters, so. You know, like 10, 10 to 15 metre seas aren't unusual, but we were very lucky this voyage and didn't have any, so that was good. Very cool. Okay, we've got one more from Commander Wotherspoon, then a quick fire round, and then we're going to be handing over to our second guest. So, Commander Wotherspoon, the bit that excited you. <laughs> I was very impressed that there were mugs in every single photograph that was sent back. That was kind of like, where's Wally looking for the mugs in every, in every picture? But... There were scientists, weren't there? There were scientists, or there are scientists, sort of down down there in the in the in the winter time, looking at things like cosmic rays, and and there's also sort of some bizarre experiment with a big heap of used spent fuel. I think sort of um, there's there's kind of like a like a big a big mound of fuel, and there's some some weird experiment with plastic and microbes. Can you talk about that at all? Yeah, I'm not an expert on that one. So. When you say there's some fuel, we should be really honest about what that fuel is. It's a fuel leak. So we had a, we spilt some fuel, um, and we've done it a number of times. All the all the Antarctic stations by all the, owned by all the countries have all spilt fuel at various times, uh, and it's one of those things that happen. Transferring fuel is certainly the most uh, scary and dangerous part of the process for us, for me in my job particularly. The environmental risk is huge. You know, we we pump. 780,000 litres of fuel ashore um, at Morton this year and we did it using a four inch um, Angus offshore lay flat hose so it's like a it's like a sort of vinyl plasticky hose that can it, it goes flat when there's no liquid in it so you can roll it up on a drum and fit it inside a container um, and we 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 roll out if we do it um, if we do it the hard way over West Arm we roll out about uh, nearly a kilometre of that hose it lies on the water, it lies over these rocks, the rocks of West Arm, and then it lies over Horseshoe Harbour and then gets connected to the station. So there's all these places where it can rub and abrade and bits of ice can bump into it. And we then, we then 
push liquid fuel, liquid diesel basically, through it at about 50,000 litres an hour. So it only takes a little pinprick and you've got fuel pouring all over the ocean and it's some so super high risk activity and there have been we've never had an on water leak but we have had leaks at the fuel tanks on the stations or leaks when someone's been topping up uh, you know a vehicle um so it's those that we're using um to use microbes to eat basically so the idea is that we want to we want to be able to clean up fuel spills not just in antarctica but all over the world on mine sites and so on so it's research that's potentially of sort of financial value to the researchers because they can sell the technology on. And yeah, so they're experimenting with a whole bunch of different microbes that basically turn fuel into um, into food for them. So um, so it's a pretty cool experiment. It's been going for a few years now. Uh, they're doing it in places like the Subantarctic Islands, which are a bit like, you know, sub, if you think Subantarctic Island, you think basically um, sort of northwest coast of Scotland and the islands of Scotland. They're very similar sort of latitude and environments. Um, and we obviously spill fuel in places like that too. So that's that one experiment. But there's obviously, as you say, there's hundreds of different experiments going on. Um, some of them are climate change related. Some of the stuff we do, like the Argo boys we throw out, um, they're, they're sort of climate, they're climate change tools, but they're also, they're tools that are used by NOAA and um, NASA and uh, all the different global bureaus of meteorology for their um, meteorology stuff. So. They record the temperature and they report record ocean currents. They record the temperature in the water at different depths. So the Argos sink to about 2,000 meters and they record the temperature as they go down. And then as they come back up again, they have a bladder they inflate, they come back up to the surface. And then when they get to the surface, they transmit their data. And I think they transmit the surface temperature uh, and data as well. And then we've got other, uh, the, we had bomb drift buoys that measure, I think they measure the amount of sunlight so they can tell if it's cloudy or not. And again, the temperature and the barometric pressure and all this sort of stuff. So that stuff's always ongoing. We do that on every voyage. We do the CPRs, the continuous plankton recorders, which is like this bomb you throw out the back and drag behind the ship and it picks up, uh, you know, amoeba and um, plankton and stuff like that. We do that every voyage. So there's, there's all sorts of science going on all the time and it's all fascinating. That was the pasta maker, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. The pasta maker is, uh, that's right, the inside of it is two rolls of um, silk cloth. Uh, it's a design, it was designed back in the 1920s, I think, so it's been used for a very long time. And every voyage of the Aurora to Antarctica has towed one of these behind it. So for 30 years, we've been towing it every time. And the two rolls basically form this sandwich on a third roll, and anything that goes between them gets trapped. So you get little krills stuck in there, you know, little shrimpy type things, and, um, and all the plankton and phytoplankton, and they, um, because we know when we put it in and when we take it out, we know how long the strip is and we know what speed we've been doing. Um, they can work out exactly where in the ocean each microbe comes from. Um, and we do other things too. You know, we catch, we didn't this trip, we usually most years we'll catch krill. So we have an ongoing live krill um, experiment in Hobart with the, the longest surviving krill colony in the world. Um, and krill are amazing creatures. Um, I think we had one that was 25 years old before he accidentally got flushed down the sink. Um, and they, um, when they don't get enough f f f enough food, they grow younger again. So they have about five or six different stages of growth from these little larvae to actually being like little shrimp-like things. And if they're not doing well and they're not getting food, they actually grow younger. They go backwards. So theoretically, they can live forever. There's so much stuff to talk about, isn't there? Absolutely. Stuff. We could we could go on for hours and hours and hours. It's absolutely fascinating. But we've got a bit of a um, Commander Cow quick fire round of questions. 
for you before we hand over to our, our next guest as well. Um, so if we want to hand over to Cal, um, I need we need the short, short answers on these ones. The first thing that comes into your mind to answer them. I'll and do, then we'll hand best. over to Dan. And we will um, talk about um, you know, the stuff from our second guest. But obviously, you know, you're welcome to come and join us the rest of the show as well. And I'm sure we can drag you into a few other shenanigans during the rest of the show. So um, before the quick fire round, I'm going to say thank you very much. It's been absolutely fascinating having you on. And I know we've taken up loads of the show with serious stuff. We normally have, you know, much more rude jokes than this. But um, it's been an absolute wonder to have all these photographs and all this information coming from the ship and of course the mugs back so that we can use them to raise money for charity as well we have a master plan we're working on and uh, those mugs and a few other odds and sods are going to be making their way um back to the uk and then raising money for special effect and the hearing dogs over here as well so thank you so much for everything you've done so far it's been absolutely fascinating and there's been much love on twitter and the forums for all the shenanigans you've been up to as well and look, and can I say it's been an absolute pleasure to take the mugs down each time I do a trip to I and mean, I've done quite a few now, so I think this is like number, I don't know, is in, in a sort of voyage management role, maybe number 15 or something. Um, and so it's always good to have a project or a hobby and um, sneaking the mugs into photos and getting them on the Antarctic Division's multimedia has been a great challenge and a lot of fun. Um, and I'd also like a big thanks to my uh, the crew of the ship and the expeditioners on board uh, and my deputy voyage leader, young Amy, um, who have all been fantastic and they've all embraced the mug uh, and the number of times I've had to explain to someone what Elite Dangerous is and who the Hutton truckers are and then try not to um, to look like a complete idiot has um, has been quite significant, it would be fair to say, and everyone's embraced it. And I think you've got a few converts. There's a few people who will be um, signing up to play Elite Dangerous in the future, I think. So a big thanks to them. For the mug. For, for the, the mug. Right, Mr. Cow, do you want to take the quick fire questions right, and then we yes. will hand over? Okay, no, first of all, you should explain that the, the, <laughs> the quick fire questions were while you introduced yourself and you were looking for some questions for Icebreaker, I googled Icebreaker questions, um, which are meant to be designed for parties to break the ice. Not necessarily the same thing as you, but you know what? They work bloody good as a quick fire. So, uh, your sort of quick answers, here we go. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Don't eat yellow snow. When you die, what do you want to be remembered for? Uh, living. <laughs> That's a good answer. What is your favourite item <laughs> you've bought this year? Oh, I don't know. Uh, uh, no, it's, I do know. It's a rifle for shooting deer. We have a Bambi problem in Tasmania. Okay, okay. What would the most surprising scientific discovery imaginable be? Uh, a Solution for the environment. And, uh, I mean, this one's a bit of a, a redundant question. What's your absolute dream job? Uh, computer gaming. <laughs> okay, fair That's a really good answer. Uh, also, uh, this is for uh, some of our specialist fans. Uh, what is on the other side of the giant ice walls that keep the water on our flat planet? Uh, more ice. Water. It's round. Antarctica's round. So's the world. And then our, our final question comes from Dead Meat. Which... Why is it never boobs? Why? There is definitely boobs. Um, and if you're a female going to Antarctica, just remember that the odds are good, but the goods are odd. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, thank you very much. Um, come on, the dog's breath. Now you can you can hear that I'm completely losing my voice now. I think it's finally got me. So I, I may be absenting myself after this one and handing over go to the crew. Go, go look but, uh, before my voice goes completely, um, I'm going to just say when you're on board ship. Obviously, you're talking about crafting things as well, but you must be playing games while you're over there. What what games do you guys bring with you to entertain yourselves in the sort of the long gaps between the busy bits of work? Uh, that's a very good question. So, um, so there are computer games. Zoonotic is like an old Quake Three that's open source, so you don't get told off for infringing copyright. So there's often shoot me up Zoonotic sessions. We've had up to twenty two people. Um, there's lots of uh, there's Bananagram and there's Scrabble. Uh, and we do crosswords, and um, and we talk and argue a lot. Arguing is very popular. Okay, well, thank you very much. We're now going to talk about one more game, a, a new game. Hey, maybe you never know. We might have to um, organise for you guys to have a game of this as well. But um, our second special guest this evening um, is Commander Dan Grubb. What's your commander name, Dan? Well, um, for ages it was um, Commander Ermintrude the Noob, because I quite like kicking the ass of trolls. But unfortunately, I get so little time to play, they often kick my ass these days. So I just go by Ermintrude. I've got a ship called Ermintrude. Ermintrude, I'm going to hand over to my my co-presenters now before my voice completely leaves the building. But it's your turn to wax lyrical with the guys. So, Mr. Cow and the rest of the crew, it's it's over to you to talk to Fantastic Dan and his noob. I mean, his Ermintrude. You go and get yourself a hot toddy and put your feet up and uh, check on your good wife. Um, And um, as as well, Commander Dog's Breath, I don't know how you're situated. If you want to uh, beetle off, you will have our undying gratitude for sharing your time with us uh, this morning your site absolutely uh, but if you need to get off or everything thank you so much for joining us and feel free to stick around if you want to you're more than welcome to stick around for as long as you can he's gone he's already gone to get some tea yeah he's going <laughs> to get some tea okay so we have brought Dan on. He is running a Kickstarter. It's now in its second week. Um, it has 18 it days left to go. But it's for something called Gordon's... Co- no, go- the Gorgon's Lock. I won't start off with a bad joke, but, you know, we did. Um, so, Dan, let's... I've got a wee list of questions that I've put in so that I can remind myself what's important. But your, your, your brand new game that you're kickstarting the funding of is the Gorgon's Lock. What is it? So, sorry, I was just reminiscing about that summer we spent Jin Cow. Do you remember? No. Oh. The finger rafting was divine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Let's, let's, not, let's not go back to finger rafting. I chuckled quite heartily. I muted my mic to make okay. sure it wasn't noticed. Um, right, what is Gorgon? <laughs> you know, tell us all about the Gorgon's Lock, what it is. Go on. I will. But uh, but before I do so, I must say that I had no idea that uh, that Sarah, Mrs. Vin, was poorly, and I do hope uh, she has a swift and complete recovery. Um, uh, I, I'm a little bit worried about Vin, though, because his job obviously involves moving around everywhere and dealing with thousands and thousands of people. Are we absolutely oh. sure Vin isn't patient zero? You, you, you have to remember as well that Vin has now been grounded. He has All of his jobs have cancelled for the next month and a bit. So he is essentially uh, under self-isolation rules, but not actually by his own doing. His job's all cancelled on him, thanks ah. to the spread of the virus. So, oh, I see. Um, it's not him. I see. It's not him. He's not patient Okay, zero. so when he was talking about... When he was talking about absenting himself, that wasn't that thing he used to do too much of that was threatening his eyesight. 
No, God, no, no. Or, or absinthing himself. Oh, God, good, that's great. Right, you, Gorgon's Lock. You're, you're here for good. Gorgon's Lock. You might be telling people about this game so I you am. can get some more backers. <laughs> I absolutely am. Hi, thanks for having me on. Uh, I, I appreciate it lots. I'm just here to talk about a wonderful fantasy dungeon adventure for people who don't play wonderful fantasy dungeon adventures. I think you should. I think they're fun. I think this one is very easy to learn. It's got some very deep strategic subtleties for the more uh, mature gamer. But um, we've had six-year-olds playing Dungeon Master and kicking their grandparents' ass at this game. Uh, you're up and running in five minutes. Uh, this evening, the character who I believe is going to be cast by, uh, played by Dame Judy Dench, the Gorgon Queen, right? Uh, well, Dame Judy killed me this evening uh, during a live stream, which, didn't um, which was which is quite good, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> so. Yeah, the Gorgon's Lock is essentially a, um, a modular tabletop board game uh, for people who uh, have about four or five board games in their cupboard, uh, covered in about an inch thick of dust, and they bring them out every time the power goes out and they get the candles out, or once every Christmas, or whenever they want to keep the kids busy. Um, I want those people to open their eyes to the wide and wonderful world of modern board and tabletop gaming, because there are hundreds of thousands of awesome games out there and to me there just doesn't seem to be a stepping stone there doesn't seem to be that gateway game anymore uh, when i was a child the gateway game was hero quest um, and that got me into the more complex things yes advanced hero quest but also space hulk and then into the 40k stuff and the DD &D stuff but without that stepping stone um it, it it was completely impenetrable to me. I, the the rules alone. There, there's a there's a phenomenon called death by rulebook in the uh, in the board and tabletop gaming world, and it's essentially the rules are so ridiculously complex that some people get halfway through their setting up page and promptly start packing the game away again. And it's a phenomenon very well known all over the world in board gaming cafes. You see people drag a game off because it looks great and then start to set it up and they're halfway through the setup and then they just sort of give up or one member of the team just sort of gives up and they pack it away and then choose, choose a different one. Uh, the Gorgon's Lock is principally a a, 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 um, a a skin for a new gaming system called the Storm System. It's a very simple system based on standard six-sided dice, so no intimidating comedy-shaped dice. I love intimidating comedy-shaped dice, I might add, but this is just, just a very simple D6-based system, and it allows people to give, take, use, fight, search, and move their way through, in this case, a fantasy magical dungeon. That's what the Gorgon's Lock is. Brilliant. Sorry, I realised I hadn't had myself muted there to the stream. Yeah, brilliant. I mean, I have watched it. It took me a while to get a, a good idea. I think there's a particular video of you, Gabby, and uh, now I'm not sure what his name was. Was Ian, where it gives you a real sense of you doing a, a three-player version of the game, and it gives you a real good feel for the game. Um, I mean, one thing I noticed is that some of the sound quality issues on your videos makes it difficult to really get into them. Uh, but that particular one is by far the the one that showed me this game, and and then I could start to see that, you know, the way that your dungeon assembles, um, very much um, similar to the likes of when you look at the tiles that come with um, Zombicide. Um, you know, you arrange them for the map and then you run the mission. And your missions seem to be really quite different as well and clever and open to, to kind of expansion. So I've, I've had a good watch a number of your, your videos and um, it's a very well-balanced game. Um, so let me just see. What, oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. But, you know, so, okay. So we've talked about the game. We know what the game is. 
You're on Kickstarter. Um, now, why yep. in particular did you pick Kickstarter and what is it you are aiming to raise under the goals? Okay, so um, the reason we've chosen Kickstarter is because although I love the game, I believe in the game. It's the very first game of Fantastic Books Gaming, which is the new division of, of my, my company. Um, I don't want to uh, end up with a huge great debt to the bank and 2,000 copies of the game sitting in my garage gathering dust. And Kickstarter is the way of sidestepping that possibility and actually giving people the the games that they're after, the, the first editions that they're after, giving them the opportunity to get involved in the creative side of the games by actually doing things like immortalizing pets and people in the artwork of the game, uh, while negating the risk of me sitting on hundreds and hundreds of copies of a game that I then have to go ahead and not only sell to the world, but store while I do so. Uh, so Kickstarter is a, is a relatively easy way to um uh, to to put it out there into the world the problem i have with the gorgon's lock of course as i've just explained is it's a stepping stone game so the people who don't play games don't play games the people who play games only occasionally only play games occasionally and dedicated board and tabletop gamers are already playing hundreds of different games throughout the year the demographic i'm going for it's i'm, I'm essentially trying to sell a, a a tabletop game to people who don't play tabletop games it's an extremely hard sell but every single person and i do mean every single person who we've sat around a table and played it with and we've had hundreds and hundreds of play tests and thousands of hours of of um of, of you know getting this game as balanced as it can possibly be whilst maintaining its simplicity which is fundamentally important to the reason why we're putting it into the world you know, we're, we're not Gloomhaven, we're not Dungeons and Dragons, and we're not trying to get a bite of that pie. What we're trying to do is recruit more people to the wonderful hobby. And in doing so, and in spending so much time and, and getting so much positive feedback about the game, we know people love it. It's just the people who need to know about this game. It's really hard to get the game in front of them because, of course, they're not hanging around on board game forums. They've never heard of Board Game Geek or RPG Geek. You know, so it's it's it is a hard sell, but that's the reason we've gone for Kickstarter because the only way we can get this out into the world and make it affordable is by ordering at least two thousand units. And by ordering two thousand units, that gets the retail price down to about thirty quid, which for a game this size, this weight, this complex, and and by complex I mean with the amount of board pieces and this high quality art, etc. Because it's all you know bespoke artwork, a hundred percent. It's about half the price that you'd expect to be paying on retail. Usually these games are in the region of 60 or 70 quid, but no one's going to play 60 or 70 quid for Monopoly or Scrabble or Ludo or The Game of Life or Cluedo. So we need to jump into that price bracket. So the only way we can do that is by offering two, at least 2,000 units to get the retail price down to 30 quid a time. And that's why it's such a large and ambitious Kickstarter. But, you know, we've got 18 days left and 30 grand to find. Stranger things have happened, right? Well, you know, it, it deserves it. It's, it definitely is a game. So, well, actually, I've got some questions written down. So, um, I've, okay. got, I've got two questions. They're kind of linked to the just what you've mentioned in there. You've got thirty thousand pounds to raise uh, in the next twenty odd days. Uh, so, if successful, what's next for the project? What you know? What do you see in the future of it? And also, on the flip side of that, in, if it doesn't quite get there, what's your backup plan of action? Okay, so um, I'll, I'll deal with the, the one that's 
possibly got most negativity attached to it at the moment, the, the backup plan, as it were. Um, as far as the backup plan is concerned, the IP is ours. The game is ours. The game system's ours. The entire artwork stuff has been has been created. We own it. It's it's ours. So we'll simply try and find another route to get the Gorgon's Lock to market. However, the plan for the game, the, the dream for the game, is to take that core gaming system forward, the Storm system. We're super, super proud of the Storm system. It's 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 painfully simple um, on the outside, but just wait till you play it. Just wait till you play it, and after half an hour, you suddenly realise that there are that there are, are really quite clever strategic subtleties built into this. And I'm not blowing my own trumpet here. We've had lots and lots of different people involved in the creation of this, and. What I find most most wonderful about the storm system is essentially you can put any old skin on there as long as narratively speaking you are prepared to put in the hard work and create some lovely compelling stories with the give take use fight search move mechanic the use mechanic alone allows you to pull levers press buttons pick things up drop things open doors close doors windows etc um so that alone you can have quite an exciting time moving around any sort of map but as far as the gorgon's lock is concerned we've already got expansion packs in production we've got the artwork for expansion packs in production we're already working on on dozens and dozens of extra adventures even down to expansions of the original six scenarios that the retail box comes with currently so if we do start to hit things like stretch goals you know me cow from the previous kickstarters we've done the first thing i'm going to do is start applying global upgrades because you're nuts because you're absolutely nuts a little. you want to share all that love and you'll cost to be damned i want you all to have this awesomeness because that's what you're like you just want to share it with everybody and and you know well thanks <laughs> <laughs> i've had a look at it i mean you've, you've talked about feedback and, and i have seen a lot of people that are finding it you know that they get hooked into it now um I will compare it to, to Zombicide, but that's because Zombicide's the closest thing to it. Now, your storm system, what I love about this storm system, if, you're, if you've not seen it, essentially, at the beginning of you tur your turn, you will roll the dice to see how many actions you can perform, whether that be moving once, twice, three times, four times out of your dice roll, you make that yeah. choice. Um, and that's Absolutely. It's, amazing. It's really, yeah. it's really simple. And it, and yeah, it does, and, really and, and the, the way you deal with combat seems to be quite simple as well, which is why you suddenly um, allow your players to get involved in the story, um, which is where you get that little slight touch onto sort of role play where you start getting attached to your characters. Exactly. Um, so it's exactly, we, we have people. Yeah, we we do have people who are genuinely connecting with their characters. So, for example, my son Harry, uh, he always plays. Uh, always plays Magnus Underhill, the dwarf, and he's always hanging back from the main party. There's no reason for him to hang back, but he always <laughs> hangs back. He lets everyone else go and tank their way into the ne next rooms, and he just hangs back and searches and hoards treasure, and whenever he finds a bad guy, if he can't take them out in one attack, he'll run off and leave it to the rest of the party to deal with. He, he just plays the classic kind of archetypal greedy dwarf. <laughs> However, other people have played it, and the dwarf has been the tank. The dwarf has done the kind of piling forward into the into the rooms. And it's, yeah, it's, uh, just to get back uh, to the to the action point-based system, um, it, it really is painfully simple when it comes to it. You are allowed to attack up to four times every turn. You are allowed to search up to four times every turn. The the limit of searching we we put down to greed and time the limit to the limit to combat we put down to fatigue essentially um 
but you're allowed to move move, move around the place and trade, i.e. give or take things consensually, because it's a collaborative game, although you can play it solo. Um, we th- that That's just within whatever whatever you happen to have rolled for your action points. But every single turn starts with rolling for action points. So if you've got lots to do in a turn in order to survive, and you roll snake eyes... It's uh, well. The, the, what happened to me earlier was I had a chance of actually surviving the the scenario, and I just needed a seven or eight action points to get all my attacks in, and I rolled three, and and I needed to use one of those three action points to get actually toe to toe with the hardest character in the dungeon, and then my two attacks failed, and she killed me, and that was it. It was all over. Um, but the fact that it's just a very simple action point based system, lots and lots of people love. And I think what they love most about it is the fact that they sit down at the table. We've got the dungeon laid out, just like it's going to happen with Aircon this weekend. Um, we, we, you sit down at a table and you roll two dice to determine your health. Then you choose a character and you roll two dice to determine action points and you are playing. That is the start of your turn. There are, there are no half an hour sit down with pen and paper character generation. There's that, you know, you are literally up and running in minutes. It was, we'll talk about, because I know an awful lot of people that like these games love the combat system. And uh, I think it's probably worth of note that the combat system you have employed is, again, very simple. Your uh, baddies will have an attack number of dice that they roll for the attack. They'll have their defensive points or basically their life points. And the difference is that when you roll your attack, they roll a defense. And the difference between those two numbers is the damage done. Do enough damage to take away all the life points and the dead flip it around if they attack you you roll a defense as well so it allows that element of your top toughest amazing character who's just found all the best loot goes into battle and gets taken out by the smallest slightest little baddie i think it was a a goblin the goblin takes him out absolutely they give back all their cards they lose everything and they go back to the start for their second Mm -hmm. life it does seem to be a, a really simple system with that in mind You've had feedback from players. Are there any changes that you've decided would be worth making on the basis of feedback, or have you already completed that kind of process? Well, um, that is never complete. It's a, it's an ongoing pro. Any game de- games developer on any platform, I, I assume uh, software included, uh, a game, be it be it software, be it something like Elite Dangerous, or be it um, um, you know a, a board game like ours, it's a user interface, uh, and it's just about the ways that people interact with that with that UI, and that's precisely what the Gorgon's Lock is. So yes, we've had some advice. And even down to, we posted the rulebook the other day on the Kickstarter page. We posted the rulebook so you can go ahead and click and download the rulebook and, and flick your way through through the entire rulebook for free. And somebody immediately commented and said, oh, why is this section before this section? It doesn't seem to make much sense. And, you know, the whole wood and, you know, um, you didn't see the wood for the trees. That's precisely where we were. We'd, we'd finalised every single word in the rulebook. We'd finalised every single section in the rulebook. We just hadn't paid enough attention to the order of it. And this commenter on the Kickstarter page was absolutely right. And as a result, we have rejigged the order of the rulebook, and it makes a lot more sense now. Uh, there have been a few rules that we've had to um, 
that we've had to add in to kill ambiguity because nothing kills a solo game or if you you know or, or or a collaborative game with a couple of people or possibly with a games master um than ambiguity now ambiguity can drive role playing and i understand that but with a system as simple as this certain things have to be absolutely rock solid so uh, we had a little ambiguity about what happened when you entered a new section uh, so we had to to firm up that rule that's locked down now and we also had uh, ambiguity about what would be allowed to happen with the treasure that you collect, because we essentially just had it as a um, uh, as as, a, as an enrichment process. So you work your way through six dungeons, each of which taking between an hour and two to complete, and you sort of collect a shed load of treasure en route. You end up with this huge, great pile of treasure and nothing to do with it. Whereas the one thing people were complaining about was they get three or four dungeons into the six six dungeon system and then they'd they'd start their turn by rolling their health points and promptly roll snake eyes and in doing so get killed very quickly and lose four or five dungeons worth of treasure and we didn't think that was fair so what we've done is we've added a very simple trading mechanic uh, people were talking about having a trader arrive and a special trader deck and all the rest of it. And this all adds levels of complexity that we want to avoid. Um, the demographic for this game, it, it, we're not interested in four or five or six different mechanical packs that people work through for different reasons. We want to keep it as simple as we can. So we've got two decks. One deck is all your enemies. The other deck is the entire contents of the dungeon. That's 100 cards, the entire contents of the dungeon. That's traps, that's enemy spawn points, everything. So as a result, people were... Uh, sitting on huge great piles of treasure and not really knowing what to do with it. So now in between scenarios, you can buy starting health points and they cost you 10 gold pieces worth of treasure each to a maximum of 12. And you'll still start the next dungeon by rolling for health points, but you'll be rolling for health points points plus the ones you've already purchased. And that gives people a lovely cushion. So rather than, you know, worrying about rolling snake eyes, if they've bought five health points, they know that by rolling 2d6, even if they get the lowest possible score of, of snake eyes, they're going to be starting the scenario with at least seven health points. And that's cost them 50 gold pieces worth of treasure. And that was, that, that was, that was a, a sort of a, an emergent behavior that we found um, that we found really, really interesting because it was the players themselves who suggested that to us independently on multiple occasions. So we thought, well, if it's been suggested so many times, you know, completely autonomously from us, it's it's got to be a good idea. So we tested it, we ran the numbers, and we have we have applied that now. So there is now um, uh, between scenario trading as well for health points. But yeah, awesome. Awesome. Well, I think we have covered um, pretty much all the little aspects that we need to about the Gorgon's Lock, unless you have even more that you want to share. So I will um, hand the floor to you because that's the questions I've got. Oh, well, actually, with special deals that backers can get. So people who are listening here are thinking, sounds really interesting. What reason should they rush over to Kickstarter to back your project for that they might otherwise not be able to take advantage of should you have to go through a backup plan or they miss out in the Kickstarter altogether? Oh, darn, you're after an elevator pitch, and I don't really do elevator pitches, I just do mad rambling, but uh, I'll try and keep it as short as possible. Okay, uh, the reason you should head over to the Kickstarter right now is because I think my game is awesome. Everyone who's played my game thinks it's awesome. I'm pretty sure you'll think it's awesome. The game has been designed from the ground up so that you can create your own 
dungeons, your own adventures, your own scenarios. The pieces are extremely high quality uh, so that you can go ahead and plug them into anything. They just happen to be exactly the same depth board pieces as games like Zombicide, Hero Quest, Advanced Hero Quest, Space Hulk, etc. But the reason is because all of those games are released with extremely high quality components. Um, the fact that we've matched the one inch by one inch grid so that you can do things like plug it straight into your D&D campaigns has, of, of course, been engineered. But you should head over there right now and go and grab yourself a copy of the Gorgon's Lock because that's the only way we're going to get it over the line. Um, if you want to go for any of the special deals and throw a couple of hundred quid at it instead of the standard 27 quid for a game or 60 quid for a first edition, for a couple of hundred quid, we will immortalize your pet in the artwork of an expansion pack. Um, now, this could be a pet that you've got a picture of, a pet you can give, us a de give our artists a decent description of, um, and we will immortalize that dear pet of yours uh, in the artwork of an expansion pack. Um, 200 quid will also, uh, or, or indeed a pet you hate, if you know, or somebody else's pet that won't stop pooing on your garden. If you let us know the reason, then we can perhaps add the correct type of artwork. But yes, we can immortalize pets, and we can also immortalize people, and the same <laughs> applies. So if your ex, no, I don't want to go down that route, but <laughs> but <laughs> but you can immortalize pets, you can immortalize people. If you've got a terrific tortoise or a you know a, 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 a fabulous pet that begins with F, then you go ahead and let us know. Fabulous ferrets, there we are. Um, and we and we will immortalize it in the artwork of an expansion pack. Um, if you want to be involved in an expansion pack, so you're very interested in the storm system, how the storm system works, how we can create scenarios with your help, how we can create characters and cards for the search pile, i.e. armor and weapons, potentially new traps, potentially new enemies. Go and have a look at the really expensive pledges down at the bottom and you can be involved in creating an entire expansion pack with our design team. That's working with me, that's working with Gabby the designer, that's working with the artists themselves and uh, and, and we will be liaising with you as part of the creative team to create an, an actual expansion pack for the Gorgon's Lock. Um, for those of you in the UK who have a chance of getting to Harrogate over the next three days as well, Come and see us. Come and play the game. Myself and Steve, um, somebody asked in the chat earlier who Steve was. Steve is Steve Trum from Trum Productions. He's sitting here beside me. He set off from uh, our southern HQ about 147 hours ago or something and immediately hit the back of a queue of traffic around Cambridge. And he's literally landed while I was chatting to you guys. So I've been doing lots of arm flailing and waving. Um, but uh, myself and Steve will be demoing the game in person uh, tomorrow, all day, Saturday and Sunday, all day. So uh, get to Harrogate, get to the convention called Aircon, A-I-R-E-C-O-N. Um, I don't know if it's got a Scottish connection with the air thing. I don't know why it's been held in Harrogate. It has for the last few years, apparently. But uh, yeah, Aircon, it's a board gaming convention and we are there right in the heart of it and right in the heart of our Kickstarter. Um, we need your support if you're into board and tabletop gaming. And the reason we need your support is we want more people to play this wonderful hobby. And the only way we can do it is by the support of people who already play it, getting the word out to your networks. Um, we've designed the game to fit a variety of, uh, to, to solve a variety of irritating board game annoyances, like, for example, arranging that game night and having that one player turn up late. You can drop in and drop out of our game whenever you like. You can play it solo. You can play it with up to six players, one of which playing the dungeon dungeon master. And in theory, if we've got 
you know, if you've got enough characters from expansion packs, etc., you can play it with up to nine pe- nine people currently, and even more if you go ahead and get more dungeon packs and start working on larger uh, dungeon expansions and dungeon adventures of your own. And again, we want to hear about them. This game has been designed for the designers as well as for the amateur gamers, and the su- the strategic subtleties that we built into it are not incidental strategic subtleties. Um, uh, we were speaking to Major Alex Janaway. He's a, a friend of Zach Antonacci from Frontier, and he's a major in the British Army, and he is a previous Warmaster World Champion. So this is a miniatures 40k Warhammer um, uh, 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 thing, and, and he won it. He was the World Champion, and he won it by sitting at a board and playing 40k miniatures in an Olympic stadium. And he loved the game and he loved the system and he thinks it's got legs. And that was one of the biggest accolades we could have hoped for. Um, so go and check out the game. Go and listen, uh, go and watch the video and listen to my pathetic attempt at voicing it. Um, because, you know, voiceover people are expensive and we don't want to just spooge money on nothing. Um, yeah, go and check out my game. It's called The Gorgon's Lock. It's the very first of my new division. And I have huge hopes for the future and want to keep creating it and expanding it for years and years. Okay, quick right. question. Oh, sorry. Go. Um, I've seen the, the pictures. It looks awesome, by the way. Um, Thanks very much. I play a lot of board games myself, and this is one that I'm, I'm seriously considering adding to my collection. But uh, the question is... Um, I see you're, you've got like a, the little cardboard miniatures. Is there any plans to upgrade those to plastic miniatures like they did with HeroQuest and Warhammer and all that kind of stuff? Okay, so initially we're looking at releasing the standard and first editions as standees only. However, um, if we were lucky enough, for example, over the next 10 or 15 days uh, to to reach the target and start talking about stretch goals, which I realise is quite a stretch in the current situation, but we have already priced up things like getting those STL files created. We've got the artist on board to create the the other dimensions of the of the artwork that we've got. There are eight different enemies um, and there are different numbers of those enemies. So it would involve 40 miniatures for the enemies alone, five of the characters and a single uh, miniature for the golden statue that, that we just thought was better as a golden statue rather than just a tile on the floor uh, for just one of the six scenarios. Um, so in total, that's 46 individual uh, 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 individual mini- miniatures uh, and um, and 14 types. Now, for each of those types, we've been quoted anywhere between £600 and £1,200 per figure to have those STLs created at the resolution we'd need them to then pass them on to our uh, uh, manufacturing manufacturers to, to add them to the game as miniatures. So, you know, you can see that's already tens of thousands of pounds above and beyond what we're already asking for. So, mm. yes, I would absolutely adore to release this thing with miniatures. And if we do get the success that I'm hoping for, then, of course, the vast majority of the profits involved will be poured back into the creation of things like miniatures and 3D printed furniture and, and, and various other bits and bobs for the game itself. But at the moment, the base to show off the system, to show off the narrative and to show off the new universe and the new canon, essentially, of the Gorgon's Lock, uh, we'll just be releasing the two versions as standees as it stands. Hmm. I mean, um, I wish you the best of luck. I, I hope this really takes off. It looks really interesting. Oh, you thanks very much. I mean, uh, you could always do a deluxe edition at a later date 
as well. Oh no, absolutely, absolutely. And and the thing is, we're we're absolutely committed to getting this thing out into the world, regardless. Uh, but we're hoping that we can do it quickly with the, through this Kickstarter. And as a result, we already have lots and lots of plans for the expansion, uh, for for various expansions. And um, part part of that part of that expansion plan is to release both standard and deluxe editions of. And of course, if you're going for a character expansion that is a single character, or we have um, a brother and sister couple. Uh, who are on their way through the the, the creative process at the moment? Um, I, I won't give too much away about those guys, but um, but they. Uh, I would love to. I would love, love, love to release a deluxe version where not only do we have the standees that arrive in the pack, but also miniatures with them. So, yeah, watch this space on that. I will indeed. Thank you for answering my questions. That's all right, Amelia. Right. So uh, the last thing is a link. Have you got a link for people oh, to yeah. go to? Oh yeah, good point. Yeah, uh, if you'd like to go to either Kickstarter.com and search the Gorgon's Loch, um, you will never find a better pronunciation of Loch than from Cow. So um, that's uh, go to Kickstarter.com and search the Gorgons. That's G-O-R-G-O-N-S and Cow. If you can help me out, it's the Gorgons Loch. Loch, absolutely. L-O-C-H. We didn't. We didn't ask the question about the fact that it's got a Polish link. It's not a Scottish link either. No, indeed. Um, a lot of people have said, well, I've seen I've seen it. And apart from like the odd drippy dungeon wall, what's with the water connection? So there is no water connection. Well, what's with a loch? Well, it just so happens that loch with exactly the same pronunciation as, as uh, the Scottish pronunciation is the Polish word for dungeon. So there oh. we are. There we the go. Gorgon's the Lock. more you know. Right, well, thank you very much, uh, Dan, for coming on and joining us and also being so patient to get through all of our yeah. um, dog's breath as well because it's been a, a long night of chatting to you guys, but frankly, it's I, been really, really interesting. It was it was so much fun learning about all dog's breath stuff. I mean, I've been hearing about it, but of course, I've been, I've been eyeball deep in... Um, in the Kickstarter stuff and the promo stuff that goes with it. So as a result, I really haven't been able to be active in the community. So I've seen all sorts of awesome stuff going on in the background. Uh, Fuel Rats, 70,000 Rescues, Flossie and the rest of them, <laughs> Legends. Um, the whole hot mess thing, the mug deliveries is ridiculous. How you managed to break 50%, I have no idea. Um, you're well over that now, right? Over 70% now. Incredible, absolutely 76%. incredible. 76%. Madness, over three quarters, that's ridiculous absolutely ridiculous and i love it um, and and I, and I must say as well just while we're on on dead meat i won't i won't ramble on for too much longer i know i tend to chat on um i absolutely love that the the aussie um was talking about the beers and he says no we, we're not going to go crazy or anything we're just going to give people give people a couple of beers to give them a taste of beer and i thought yeah that's a very australian attitude toward beer <laughs> yeah let's have a couple of beers yeah, yeah okay i had a couple of beers hmm, not bad do you fancy some <laughs> yeah that's your taster no 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 let's have absolutely drink. <laughs> well thank you dan and feel free again if you are free i know you've got a lot on and uh you probably need to go and chat to steve but you can feel free to stick around if you wish or you can go off we've got uh Galnet News, we've got Top Trucker, and then we will be bidding you all a rather uh, speedy goodnight because we are way over time for the evening, <laughs> but we kind of suspected it would go this way. So thank you very much, Dan, uh, for joining us and letting us know. Thanks, thanks so much. And on, on another show, I must question what non-breeding seals are. Because they do sound like do, they do sound like a rather unlikely species, a bit like a genitalless bear or the cockless wombat. Right? That could be a show that goes over time as well. I suspect. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank Certainly you. Certainly after much. nine o'clock. 
Lots of love to you all. Thanks so much. I'm going to keep listening to the show, but I'm going to kick off TeamSpeak. So no uh, you're all awesome. Pass move my best, please, Cal, when you do see him. And oh, I'm he great did suggest about the new meds. to you that your game was a gateway drug for kids into board games. But we thought that wasn't uh, going is, to be a yeah. good tagline for you. So <laughs> <laughs> It absolutely is, but we're trying to keep that off the official uh, marketing. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll catch you later Thank, on, Dan. Thanks, thanks for having me, guys. Not Love a problem. It. See you soon. Bye. Okay. We're see you, Dan. Give you guys a chance to go to the toilet and grab a drink. So we're going to have a quick tune. Um, we'll probably skip some of these so we can get to uh, on it up next but first before we go to this uh, next tune uh, if you haven't guessed the theme this one oh no we should do Flossie Flossie do you want to do your I was just wondering yeah <laughs> this is the problem you never mentioned me I forgot about Flossie it's the pink bit and it's flashing it's right me. in front of me okay alright let's go and do a Flossie's bit and then we will get a wee tune and come back with the galnet but for now we're going to play Flossie's bit, which is going to be that one. Yeah, we can do this. It's Flossie. It's Flossie. It's Flossie. It's Flossie. here with this week's CCCG News and it's week nine of Hot Mess which starts today. As you know it's been a difficult week for Hot Mess as pilots who used up their hold full of mugs were unable to get any more unless donated by a generous friend as there were no more to be had at Hutton for the present. With that in mind here's this week's station report. Despite the problems, we're still making excellent progress. We are more than 76% complete, with more than 42,000 stations complete, and just over 15,000 systems totally mods free. We have two more commanders who have each delivered more than 1,000 mugs. LDSK and Vulture P have broken this barrier, joining Doc Jack, Montgomery Python, Alter Ego, and Time Raider, NEMB, Comet Bourne, and sitting on exactly a thousand where he's stuck with men for the last few weeks is Vince Wynn Cymru. We now have 292 commanders who have signed up and we're running at an average of over 145 mugs per pilot. Undeterred by supply problems, that average has still risen once more. He's hoping that supply problems from Hutton are resolved soon so we can look forward to a bumper week of mugging. That's all from me this week. Bye! Flossie told you what to do. Wow, thank you, Flossie. Sorry, guys, yeah, you can hear me tapping, but I'm, I'm, I kind of mute myself going out. Uh, right, uh, our next tune, tune number two, is um, by the... No, we'll skip that one. We're going to go to song number three, but that's fine. It's called the same as song number two. Uh, it's The End of the World uh, by The Carpenters, and we will go straight into Galnet and another one of their powerful people reports straight afterwards. So stick around. Powerful People 
Encyclopedia Galactica presents biographies of notable people in the galaxy. This week, Pranav Antal. What job would be right for the talented mystical child of a mystical commune leader when that leader passes to the other side? If you were thinking, commune leader, then you'd be absolutely right. Being the all-powerful leader of a mystical sect is the sort of occupation that tends to run in the family. So when Simguru Rishi Antal popped his clogs, his son and Simguru-in-waiting Pranav was right there with the Sim crown, ready to settle comfortably into the Sim throne. The Utopian Commune, which was founded by the deceased but not forgotten Simguru Rishi, is a high-tech affair where computers and technology are taken very seriously, as is the accumulated wisdom of present and past Commune members. The reason Simguru Rishi is not forgotten is that a complete replica of his brain, his knowledge, his thoughts, experiences and emotions have been uploaded to the crowning achievement of the Utopian Commune, the Sim Archive. So you can pop along to the Sim Library and have a chat with the disembodied essence of ex-Simguru Rishi any time you like. In fact, you can do the same for any other member of the commune, alive or dead, because they're all uploaded into the matrix of computers that make up the Sim Archive. And it's for this reason that Utopians remain unperturbed by the advance of the Thargoids. At the height of the invasion, Simguru Pranav explained that should humanity cease to exist as a consequence of being totally exterminated by eight tentacled alien monsters, it would be just fine, because digital versions of humanity would continue to live on in the good old Sim Archive. It doesn't appear to have occurred to them that the Thargoids, having destroyed flesh and blood humanity, would be unlikely to respect the quiet please signs in the Sim Library and might even contemplate using it for a bit of sim-target practice, and this might cause the rows of heads in jars some level of disruption. The commune develops new technologies and guards their secrets jealously. When the formula for the miraculous wonder drug known as nanomeds was reverse-engineered from samples found in a crashed freighter, Simguru Pranav was not delighted in the slightest about the prospect of non-Utopians being saved from illness. Instead, he demanded the return of his intellectual property, making it quite clear that he was not even slightly interested in a licensing deal. He is, however, keen to welcome new converts to the commune, for which the only entry criteria are believing Simguru Pranav to be a powerful demigod and giving him lots of money. And shaving your head. That bit's important, because unless everyone does that, Baldy Pranav feels a bit self-conscious. Utopia believes in achieving prosperity through developing what it describes as ethically aligned technology, even if it doesn't always like sharing that technology. An excellent example of its ethical technology is the Enforcer Cannon an ethical weapon that helps save the environment by firing slower, but making every round count. The commander of any ships attacked by Utopian vessels are invited to mail in the spent cannon rounds. 
to allow them to be recycled. Pranavantal was once believed to have magical political powers, allowing him to expand Utopia into neighbouring star systems just by smiling enigmatically and winning the hearts of the voters. However, the miraculous expansion into the Sulkin system has not been repeated. The magical, magnetic personality of mystical mindman Antal Jr. may not be quite that magical after all. Tune in next week for another of the galaxy's powerful people. That was um, very good. Thank you very much. An interesting person indeed. Really quite, yeah. Digital libraries love that. I'm sure that was a Doctor Who story. I think I'm sure that's a, a staple of uh, science fiction, isn't it, to have a digital versions of ourselves? Yes, yes. He's a weird old bloke, is Mr. Utopia. Yeah, well... <laughs> well, we'll see what, uh, see what uh, the, the lore has to give us in the coming updates, um, if anything at all. Right, OK, so it is time to regale all you mother truckers out there and you know who I mean that have gone the extra mile to push themselves past the limits and beat everybody in our top trucker but we'll just have to hand that one over to uh, our dear good pal Buck if he's still with us yep I'm here and fantastic well then it is time to hand over to Buck for this week's top trucker report Spokesman for Lacon Spaceways. Back again for this week's Hunting Top Trucker. How do we keep up with your shenanigans while you tool around in the Milky Way? Why, we install this little piece of software called the Hunting Helper in your spaceship. If you ain't already got it installed, you can install it yourself, relatively pain free, by going to the website hot.forthebug.com. Almost as pain-free as... Nah, it's easier to install than listen to all this BS in the media nowadays. Just when you wish you could read some Galnet news, you're forced to CNN, The Guardian, and so on. So anyway, let's get on to our top truckers this week. Yeehaw! From the Explorers, jumping around like them noisy crickets in the field, 
In second place is Commander Alex's rider with over 55,000 light years jumped. Our first place says that this ain't an important stat, so we're not mentioning him. But sometimes, you know, y'all just gotta bury a body on the other side of the galaxy. Commander ATIG 2 kept hold of the trigger this week, turning the despicably dirty do batter Don Antonacci and his band of pathetic pirates into space dust. He racked up almost 59.2 million credits worth of bounties while tearing the engines out of each and every one of the Don ships for the third week in a row. Running mission like no other, Commander Texas Stew racked in 598 mission points this week. Glad to see you back there, y'all glute. Loading up the new trailer attachment to the rear of a Lacon Type 9 and filling it to the brim, Commander Mouse Holbrook hauled about 45,000 tons of cargo around the galaxy and consumed a bit too much coffee in the process. Keeping control of the Hutton High Speed Rail this week, Commander Kremlin's Respite delivered 1,866 passengers around the galaxy and earned a five-star rating from every single one of them. Our fastest run to Hutton Orbital is held by Commander Brett Riverboat in one hour, 22 minutes, and 31 seconds. But the fastest run to Hutton in this month of March is held by Commander Doc Jack in one hour, 22 minutes, and 49 seconds. If y'all think you got what it takes to beat these scores, then download the Hutton Helper and get to flying. You want to hear your name on this here radio station? Make sure you got the Hutton Helper installed. Pick it up on the web at hot.forthemug.com and get to trucking. And don't forget, if you do hear your name called out and you ain't already got one, Get in touch with us to get your very own Hutton decal for your ship. Hutton Top Trucker, brought to you by Lacon Spaceways. Only ships in the galaxy with a free Corona beer in the glove box. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, jeez. Thank you so much, Buck, and thank you for that report. Um, as he said, if you were mentioned during tonight's Top Trucker, then get in touch and claim your Hutton decal. Um, yeah, it's a busy, busy week of trucking, and uh, more to come as we all have to self-isolate and have no choice but to play Elite for the rest of our weeks that we're stuck. Um, right. Doesn't sound so bad. Yeah, it doesn't, does it? Yeah. That's the thing, you know, a gamer's never going to have an issue nope. because by choice a gamer would self-isolate. <laughs> <laughs> as long as they're not yeah, pot pretty much. <laughs> yeah, We do it most of the time. My, my son will be happy. All the schools around here are closing. They're, they're staying closed. They're extending spring break for another week. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right, okay, well, we have uh, a number of uh, points of records we're going to do. We're, we don't seem to have anybody in the green room, which is probably good, because I think they're probably all going to their beds now. Um, we do have, of course, uh, a lot of a huge thanks to Commander Dog's Breath for joining us tonight. Um, thank you so much for well, everything, getting us involved and for for poking the right people to let it happen as well and every one of them is deserved of our thanks 
um, and especially yourself because you've joined us tonight, you've given us radio content and that is pretty much what it takes to earn yourself a radio mug. So, I know where you live, but I might need to check and see what address you'd like them sent to this time. Uh, but I would love to send you uh, a mug and um, maybe some other mugs for some of your colleagues as well as a thank you for all that you have done and all the work that you guys do on a regular basis as well. So uh, if that's all right with you, Dog's Breath, we'll we chat later on and I'll get the details from you and I'll send you a little package of stuff. Yeah, I'll send you a little package of stuff. Thank you. Yep. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be an absolute pleasure. And um, uh, were you to send me more mugs, uh, I'm confident there might be other trips to Antarctica in the future. So um, they might find their way down there, getting signed by various people and coming back to you. <laughs> so this could become a common annual theme. We just don't know, do we? No, not at all. Well, I will make sure I send you enough so that you can actually leave the bewildered uh, their very own hut and mugs as well, so they actually have a little piece to commemorate it, which then forces them to pass on your story, explaining what Elite Dangerous is, who the hut and truckers are, and to spread the word through that. Um, maybe yeah, spreading more stuff, that's not a good idea. Maybe, maybe just keep them all in the one place and just keep them on show. That might be safer. We'll, we'll see what we can do, yes. And um, and I'll try and work on shorter answers. <laughs> Don't know, not at all. Not at all. It is an absolute pleasure um, to have you on tonight. And we would, oh, crikey, we'd do it again and talk for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And hours, and hours. It's just fascinating uh, and the pictures and the stories were enough to hook everybody and to be able to talk to you directly and share that with people again you can see the interest even in the the radio crew team we were just a small part of the truckers the interest is huge uh, and yeah we can only say thanks again for giving us one of the highlights of well, what, what us Hutton Orbital Truckers have done since we were created um, you're definitely one of our highlights thank you so much Pleasure. Uh, and let's, as I say, let's do it all again next year. <laughs> you know, they, they said that about uh, the truckers up tidy. They've not gone back yet. Um, I think possibly some things are easier than others. But uh, yeah, thank you so much. Right. Uh, what else we got, guys? Anyone got anything you want to scream and shout? I can see Vantian's appeared again. He's not here. You're not going to come and try and talk, are you? He never went. Did he not? Oh, okay. Fair enough, he's left himself logged in. I'll maybe kick him out later. Um, okay, Amelia, uh, who we've got? We've yes. got Le Amelia and Flossie left and Buck. Uh, is there anything you want to throw out there at these crazy people? Just one last thing. Yeah? For the mug! For the mug. Fantastic. We are going to... Are we close to fixing Alpha Centauri? I am not sure, Naughty Body Wash. Uh, Steve has left us earlier on, um, so we don't have our resident expert, unless anyone here knows in particular. Well, I know well, that... Oh. Go on then, Flossie. Um, just that um, the market's not open again yet. We're still in... Um, what do you call it? Um, infrastructure. <laughs> what do you call it? Infrastructure yeah. failure. <laughs> That's the one. Yeah. Infrastructure failure. That hasn't ended yet. I keep checking the tick every day, but... So far, it's still going on. Right, go. Wolf 359 was in infrastructure failure for eight days. So mm. that's probably the worst it could be. Hopefully it'll be fixed tomorrow, but you never know. Yeah, I heard uh, it was about a week normally. Thank you for speaking up, Pete, because I'd forgotten about you. Hello. Thank you. Um, He's if forgetting any, us all, isn't he? If anyone's interested, a week from today, 
Sagittarius I issue 26 will be coming out. I'll, rem- I'll remind you on the next show. All right, fantastic. I just, I just received my copy of Parallel Worlds. You did that. Um, that's that's a subscriber sort of hard copy edition, and the podcast for that came out yesterday as well. So um, I've I've sort of put together the podcast for both of those. So if you fancy listening to them, um, well, I'd be very grateful because because it took a lot of work to put them together. Where do they go? Where do they go? What parallelworlds.uk, I think, good. and and sagittariusi.com, I think it is. There you go, people. Go and check them out. Go and support. It's Sagittarius-I.com. Oh, Sagittarius-I.com. So if you're listening and you've not listened to one of those podcasts and you have a long drive ahead or a particularly long period of time sitting in your house because you've been... It's going to be a common theme. If you're stuck in uh, (laughs) nowhere else to go, then these can certainly fill your ears with the delights of um, the amazing work. That and they are a kind of, they are about the length of a film, so plenty, plenty of listening. Yeah, I quite enjoyed that. I listened. To, I, to be honest, I've really just I spent a lot of time listening to episode one because I was getting through it, um, driving my son back and forth to his university campus, and I would play it, and that was about a forty-minute journey. So it took me three trips to finish it, and it was really good, very well produced. Um, and if you guys haven't listened to them, tune in. And Parallel Worlds is kind of a gaming and all, all science fiction and all, all things. And uh, Sagi is very specifically um, the elite dangerous world. So you can choose what you fancy and have a listen. Ah, right, Buck, your chance. Flossie, your chance. Anything you want to shout before we go? I got nothing. No, nothing. How well? I mean, obviously, we are. We've got a number of meets planned. We have got ECM. We've got the Texas meet, and you will just well. Yeah, I don't know about the Texas. I mean, if Pearson can't make it over, I may wind up calling it off. Uh, I'm not sure. I was just about to say that, given the current global trends. There is nothing guaranteed and we are taking nothing for granted. We will follow the advice as and when it comes out. We will be putting up uh, hopefully a notice in the next couple of days on the ECM site with regards to uh, what might happen, what what we hope and what we plan to do um, going forward. We're going to have a wee discussion tomorrow, depending if, if Dave's actually well enough. Um, but it's one of these things where we just have to be sensitive and appreciate that sometimes you have to make the tough choices and sometimes you don't and finding the balance between them is a very difficult line to walk but there's time on our side but time's not necessarily a friend at the moment so um we will obviously in Scotland today we've just had announced that all uh, events over 500 people have been kiboshed um, so that has a, a funnily enough, it means tomorrow night I go out and see Jimmy Carr and that's probably the last big gig that there'll be in Scotland uh, until this uh, epidemic and the pandemic and uh, whatever you want to call it um, has passed. So all I can really say is, you know, stay well, stay safe, follow the advice, don't take risks you don't need to. And join us next week for some more carry on and some more fun. If you've got a story... Mind wipe. It's not. See, this is the problem. People say that it's a flu. Enough said. 
really, really. I'll try and work out the last time you were aware that the flu emptied an entire building of workers because they all came down with it at the same time. That's the significance and the difference that's coming up this way. Uh, we're not going to get into that. It's is there, sorry, is there a reason they call it an epic? There's a reason they call it an epic or, or a pandemic. What, whatever they call it, it's all kinds of ick. Yes, it makes you ick. Very that's ick. the problem. Icky. So stay safe, stay well, and join us next week for a giggle. If you've got some news for us, you want us to shout out on the show, get in touch, send a message to Vantian, send a message to Sayuko, send a message to Palantir, to Amelia, to Flossie, to Deadmeat, to Pete Witherspoon. It will reach the right ears, uh, and we will um, be more than glad to have you guys and shout out on the air next week. Um, so until then... Thanks. Keep your fingers out of your noses. Yeah. And if I dog's breath, do you want to finish up with any last words you would like to throw out there? Oh, I don't know. Just be safe, everyone, and um, see you in the game. It's You can rub shoulders in... Well, you can rub hulls in the game, can't you? Without catching anything <laughs> nasty. So do that instead. So we had four um, four songs tonight. Uh, the first one was It's the End of the World as We Know It, which we played by R.E.M. Uh, the End of the World by The Cure, which we didn't play. The End of the World by The Carpenters, which we did play. And another one we didn't play was The End of the World by Dio. Um, but we are going to jump to our little playout song, which is just to remind you all that you should always look in the bright side of life and look after your fellow person as much as you look after yourself. And uh, until next week, we bid you all a good... Safe, good night, and wish you a for the mug. For the mug. For the mug. I tried, 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 and I tried even more. I cried, 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 and I can't recall what for. I pressed, I pushed, I yelled, I begged in hopes of some success. But the inevitable fact is that it never will impress. I've no more fucks to give, my fucks have runneth dry. I've tried to go fuck shopping, but there's no fucks left to buy. I've no more fucks to give, though more fucks I've tried to get. I'm over my fuck budget and I'm now in fucking debt. Strive to get everything done I've played by all the rules But I very rarely won I've smiled, I've charmed, I've wooed And laughed, alas, to no avail I've run round like a moron To unequivocally fail I've no more fucks to give My fuck fuse has just blown I've been hunting for my fucks all day But they've upped and fucked off home I've no more fucks to give My fuck rations are depleted I've rallied my fuck army But it's been fucking defeated The effort has just not been worth the time or